The Dr. Atlas Foundation thanks Amazon for being the event sponsor of the 2020 Virtual Teddy Dinner. Hey everybody, good evening. It's The Fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Brian Kenny. Teddy, I'm honored to be with you here. It's great to be back with you. This also doubles as the Teddy Night. This is the Teddy Dinner for the Dr. Theodore Atlas Foundation Dinner. We're doing this virtually. It's great to be with you tonight. Great to be with you always, Brian. I feel like I'm back in our ESPN days. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite. Not no. Not quite. I mean, we're, we're downstairs. We're in my basement. Um, maybe it's appropriate to be in a shelter. It's different. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. different. We're just like Joe Biden's presidential campaign in the basement <laughs> all summer, right? Yeah. <laughs> Big things can happen right here in the basement. You never know, Teddy. We're a little more active than he was, but it's it's a good comparison. Right. This is, uh, look, it's a different year. We know this. Uh, this is the 24th year of the Teddy dinner, um, and this is not the way we envisioned it. And uh, one of the highlights of the year is getting everybody together here on Staten Island where it's a it's a raucous affair. Yes. I'm not used to being heard and not saying, hey, people, quiet, please. And we don't have to do that no, tonight. that's true. It's just us, but we miss you all. We miss everybody. But it's important that we're all here tonight and that we all give and that we help. It's not a year to give up, right? It's a, it's a year that you can still help, but it's a year that we're still here together and we're helping each other, and we want to help the foundation help all the people out there. So with that, Teddy, I know it, it has been a very different year. I know people are shut in, quarantined. A lot of people do need help. They're, they're in their homes, and they need help. What, what type of year has it been for the foundation? We lost all our fundraisers. Let's get right to it. You know, we, we always uh, talk directly to what needs to be talked to. Without the people, without your help, without the resources, um, we're a foundation that continues to care, but we are empty in areas that a foundation can't be empty in. The areas where we can put forward the things that have to be forward, whether it's checks, whether it's supplies, whether it's machinery for an invalid child, whether it's buying a uh, handicap ramp, putting a handicap bathroom in for a single mom who has a sick child with muscular dystrophy. I was just thinking of one of them. Uh, you need the ability to purchase those things, to make those things happen. You know, it starts with an idea. It starts with a, a thought. It starts from here. All of you guys know that. I always say every year, Brian, that, yeah, the name, the moniker of it is the Dr. Atlas Foundation, named after a pretty good doctor, pretty good man, if uh, I am allowed to say that myself, even though he's my father. I always say I would have done it if I was able to, even if he wasn't my father, knowing what I knew, what he did for people, for humanity. But it could be everybody's name attached to it. All the people that have been important in your life, that have made a difference in your life, the people out there, whether it was a father, or any parent, uh, a neighbor, a coach, a teacher, uh, uncle, anybody that you knew was a giving person, you knew there was a person that found a way to help somebody, that, that it mattered. It's in their memory. <laughs> That's the one great thing about this foundation. When we're all there together that night, a thousand of us, with all that noise, mm -hmm. but all that emotion, yeah. all those feelings, yeah. Yeah. and everybody, as they've said, think of that person, and you're given for that person, for you, for, that, for what that person made meant in your life how they how they 
moved your life, how they changed your life, how they impacted your life. It's it's for the people. It's for everybody. It's a foundation we can all share. And um, we have to do it different this year, as you said. So we lost all our fundraisers. We lost, this is our major one, but we lost the comedy night. We lost the bowling night. We lost the golf outing. Uh, we lost all of those things. So we hope that this, we need this. Mm-hmm. We need this more than ever. And the funny thing about this terrible virus that came along was that while it stripped away the things I just said, some of the things of how we help, it didn't strip away the need. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, uh, I wish it did, but that that increased. So during this time, we were still able to enact new programs because we had to. We had no choice. I mean, what are you going to say, no? We don't say no, by the way. <laughs> right, right. You, I've learned that. You, yeah. you kind of learned that. Well, people do ask me. Well, I'll jump in. People ask me, like, well, what does the foundation do? You know what I'm talking to my ball players to bring them down and uh, you know, go to the dinner. And I, that's, the, I think, the simplest way of putting it. The foundation helps people. You have a need, you go immediately. No red tape or anything else. You cut through it, you go, and you help people. So what new things were you doing this year? Food pantry for senior citizens. They're the most impacted, the most vulnerable, yeah. and the most scared. Can't right. get out of the projects. Can't get out of their apartments. Can't get out of their homes. And um, so it, it made sense. So we started a food pantry where we're feeding senior citizens every week since this started. Uh, menial workers, people that have families, people that work their backsides, whether it's dishwashers, whether it's waiters, whatever. But they're impacted like everyone else. They've lost their job. They still have bills. They still have mouths to feed. And guess what they don't have? They don't have unemployment. Mm-hmm. They don't have government uh, help like everybody else or like most people, thank God. Right. But they don't. They fall between the cracks. Well, we're taking care of them. And we've been taking care of them. We don't scream from a mountaintop about it because... Uh, You've seen Staten Island. It's pretty flat. <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple of hills. There's some we could try it. Hills yeah. <laughs> and stuff. But you know, but we're screaming now, right? This is our chance to put that voice out there, and um, to you know, blow that that horn, that that call to arms. Well, that's what I would tell people tonight, then, because you know there have been there's virtual galas that you have to do you know this is basically this is our virtual um you know dinner event yes but people can still help and help the foundation and the foundation can help and you can help and you can text if you want to make a donation you can text 76278 i'll say that again tech you do texting now right I, I gave Teddy his first text message, by the way. Yes, you F- did. First of all, it's on your phone. It was very upsetting. <laughs> it's like no, a, you, you got you had a phone, and I was like, oh, Teddy, you got a new phone. So I texted you, Teddy, it's, it's, hey, how's it going? And you were like, who is this? You were in all caps, I think. Who is this? What are you doing? How did you get on my screen on my phone? Yeah, <laughs> and I said, I, no, it's me. It's, I may it's have Brian. Said who says twice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, text 76278. He's better at texting now. Yes. And you can donate directly also. 
Live auction right now. We should have links at the bottom of the screen. Live auction is up until 11 p.m. tonight. And we've got great things uh, on the live auction. We'll talk about that, but click over and, and check that out. We have interviews tonight oh, that, yeah, you, that you did with one. Ken, Evander Holyfield, Dickie V, Dick Vitale, the yeah. all-time great Phil Sims, Tony Danza, Daniel Cormier, Ariel Helwani. So we have great interviews that you're going to do like, like you do on y- your podcast, which is tremendous, by the way. I, in quarantine, I binged watched your, I was a little behind. I confess, I, okay. I was a little behind. I binge watched your 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 podcast for like I don't know three days. Thank just you. Watch, I, I enjoyed it. Get back to quarantine. Oh, uh, quarantine! No, just so you can watch and catch up. <laughs> still, Go back. You have more catching up to do. That's true. Yeah. I, 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 I fell behind. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors. These are vitally important. Vitally important. These are people that kick in the real money that helps. Again, everybody kick in more money um, to get the fundraising up. This is the major fundraiser of the year. This these, is it. These are the guys that throw the left hooks. This and, is and the body punch. The, the big shot gold sponsor is Spectrum. Spectrum Cable, Spectrum is the gold sponsor. Silver sponsor is Ray Katina Lexus of Monmouth. I'll say that again. Thank you to Ray Katina Lexus of Monmouth. Bronze sponsor is very important. Investors Bank, Empire Commercial Services, The Katz Family, and Michael DeVito. So those are our sponsors. Football player um, for the Jets when Mangini, during the Mangini era. Uh, he, was a, he was a lineman. Okay. Terrific kid from Maine. And uh, during... The period that Mangini was there and uh, was the coach there for the three years, I actually worked with the Jets. Mm-hmm. I right. actually right. did some training with them, gave them boxing lessons, talked about the, mm-hmm. the, the mental side of it. And uh, he's one of the kids that the whole team, Mangini had the whole team come to one of our foundation dinners. The whole team. Practice is over. Um, with, with they, they did take the shower quick. You <laughs> yeah, know? right. But, but time. Yeah. Jump, Jumping right, the right, fans, right. they Tannenbaum and him had it all set up. Boom, get to the dinner, the whole team there. Matter wow. of fact, Pen- uh, Pennington signed the, his shoes that he wore in practice, and that was one of the auction items. And he never forgot. This kid, DeVito, never wow. forgot. So all of them, all these people you just mentioned, uh, I love all of them. I just want you to know that, really. I know I don't always get to tell you that, but love you all. You've, you've been with us a while. Vitally important, all the sponsors. Thank you again. We'll be thanking you throughout the night. Also, interview time. All right, you and Ken with uh, let's kick things off. This should be a lot of fun. The Real Deal Hall of Famer, Evander Holyfield. Let's go. All right, we're joined by none other than The Real Deal, Evander Holyfield. Evander, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Good to see you, Evander. How you feeling? Everything's good. Okay. First of all, thank you for being on this uh Special episode we're doing, being with the COVID, we are not able to have our annual dinner for the charity foundation that I run that helps so many people that are in bad shape, that are in need. You've come to them twice. You've uh, flown in on two separate occasions. I want to thank you again uh, for doing that. The people love you when you come in. We have a 1,000 people at our annual fundraiser dinner for the foundation and everybody loves seeing you. And you help us do so many things, as all the other celebrities that come and join us when we do this fundraiser. You help us fly kids into other states that need a special treatment program uh, that their state doesn't provide. We, we even pay for chemotherapy for some children where their insurance doesn't pay for a particular drug 
uh, and the family is in a situation where they have nowhere else to go or we put up handicapped ramps or handicapped bathrooms uh, for a child with muscular dystrophy with a single mom that does not have the means to do that in their apartment, in their home. So again, before we start this, I just want to again thank you for being part of that effort, part of uh, doing what you do to come in and uh, offer yourself to help us raise money for so many people that are in terrible situations. So right now, I think all our fans out there, your fans out there, the first thing I'd like to ask you about your career is how much of an influence did your mom have in your career, informing Evander, the real deal, Hollyfield, into the great champion that you were? Well, my mother pretty much was it because, uh, you know, people come up, you, you come up in life, you don't choose your parents, you don't choose your neighborhood, your color. You know, there's a lot of things you don't choose. But, you know, my mother, I was the youngest at nine, and so my mother had a heart attack when I was a kid, so my mama was there for me. And so she, she gave me all the inspiration and the knowledge and understanding. But I guess, but the most important thing, it was like self-discipline. You know, I, I couldn't act like all the other kids. My mother told me, I'm your mom, I'm not their mom. And so I, I actually thought that because whatever neighborhood you live in, you, you act like everybody else. You know, but it, that wasn't going to work with my mom. So in other words, no excuses <laughs> with with your mom. <laughs> no excuses. <laughs> yeah, something that we need in this world today, more accountability. Would you agree with that? I, I definitely agree with it because I, I know accountability is the, is the key to everything. Because my mother used to tell me, uh, if you don't get no bad habits, you ain't got to worry about breaking them. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of things that I, I didn't do because she didn't let me do it. And so I didn't never have to break the bad habits that a lot of other people had to break. That's a hell of a way to put it and a correct way to put it. And hopefully a lot of people will take from that what they should take from it. My other question, I would say, Evander, every fighter on their way up, I mean, I, I laid it out pretty good. You were the greatest cruiserweight of all time. Uh, should have been an Olympic gold medalist on your way to that before that was stolen from you. Uh, Great three-time heavyweight champ. There's always a, a fight that forges you, that really brings you to that next level, that answers the questions that have to be answered in your mind of that you, you belong, that you can be special. Out of all these fights on your way up, what was the one fight that you would say formed you for the future? I would say the fight with Dwight Muhammad Kwawi, my first my first championship fight as a cruiserweight. You know, I weighed about 184 pounds and I was going with a guy who had been champion two times and, you know, and I had never been past eight rounds. And so I go into a eight round to 15 round and uh, I made it. Yeah, you sure did. That was a great fight. I knew you were going to say that, by the way. Uh, I, I, I knew that was going to be the one because you could see it as you watched the fight that it was a fight that took you to new places. 
that let you know that you belonged in those places, that you could handle things that you really had no way of knowing whether or not you could handle them up until that time. Who's the hardest puncher you ever faced? Uh, George Foreman. Wow. Big George, baby. Yeah. Big he, George. <laughs> he, he could bang. He could bang. Ken, you, you jump in there. Of of the of all the titles you've won, was which was the most satisfying? Unifying all the cruiserweight titles or capturing the heavyweight title? Of course, uh, capturing the heavyweight title. But actually, I, I guess, I guess the most important was when I beat Mike Tyson. I would agree. And reason why that was so special because, yeah, you know, I grew up in the ghettos just like everybody else, and but. I was that person that my mom, my mama was there for me. And, you know, I couldn't curse cause everybody else cursed. I couldn't do the things that everybody do. And so everybody tried to say I was a good at two shoe, but you know, but because my mama was there and because I got caught in everything that I'd done. So I didn't try to do nothing wrong. And so when it came down to boxing, everybody thought I was a good at two shoe. They thought I was, I felt that I was better than people because, because I didn't curse and I didn't get in trouble like them. I, you know, I, I never got to jail, never done any, none of that stuff. I didn't have these bad habits. And but, and you know, you know, my brothers and sisters now, you got you got to understand, I'm the youngest at nine. So my brothers and sisters now, my mom didn't have a heart attack when they was a kid. You know, now my mom worked ten to ten, so. So they always got in trouble. <laughs> I never did get in trouble. And, you know, so sometimes, you know, family members start saying, you know, we're going to wait till you fight Mike. You see what's going to happen then. And so, you know, uh, and I had to prove that I can handle him. And when I did that, I kind of that kind of got everything off my shoulders. Isn't it funny to think when you say everyone thought I was a goody two-shoes because everyone to you at the time was your little tiny universe and wherever you were living, but to the broader public, myself included, I would never describe Evander Holyfield as a goody two-shoes. I'd describe him as a fighter, a man, and that's what you showed when you showed up, and Teddy always says it. Evander was too much man for Tyson. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't afraid of anybody. That's obvious. Only person I was afraid of is my mom, because <laughs> I couldn't hit her back. <laughs> so, uh, so, so uh, you know, you know, I had a great career. Yes, you did. You had a you had a great career and a great mom. Uh, yeah. To to make sure that you had a great career, who's who's who was the toughest fight that you ever had with? Well, I I would. The most difficult way is the white mom at Kwawi. Okay, because of the time of it. You know, I'm telling you, know, I lost 15, 15 pounds in that fight, and I never went 15 round, and I had to go 15 round. And so that was the hardest fight. But but other than him, but my second toughest, I would say Lennox Lewis, because you know he was he was a bigger and he and he and he, you know, I was good fighting guys who was. Uh, Guys that kind of bully, guys that gonna try to just come to me. I was good with guys like this, but Lennox Lewis was one of the fighters that you know, you know, he 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 gonna he think long. He, it, it, 
it's kind of can the fight kind of get boring sometimes when you're like this. But people who that was the fight was very competitive and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I was good at that. But he, Lennox was that guy that that he was a thinker. Yeah, he was, and he was a big guy. Um, you know that brings me into. I mean, you beat big guys. You beat him. You beat Rick, Riddick Bowe, uh in a rematch. You were fighting everybody that was bigger than you. Today, the heavyweights have gone to even a another dimension of size. I mean, you got guys like Fury, six foot seven, two hundred seventy pounds. You know, Joshua, six five. You know, two forty, two forty five, and Lennox was a big man. And obviously, you were able to step up and conquer that. If you were around today, would you be able to handle guys like Fury? I mean, how would you deal with guys like Fury and uh, Joshua with their size? Well, I, I felt that I would have done well because the fact that the matter we had we have a better amateur program than there. We uh, we had good coaches, and like I said, you know, you only as good as as you know the coaches that who training you and uh, the amateur program that you come up in i'm telling you know i'm telling you know in, in the 80s and the 90 was wasn't the some of the best fighters that ever been because we had a good amateur program it's kind of kind of faded after uh holocaust sale left was pat nappy one of your coaches back in the day with the amateurs, sure with the Olympics, yeah, he was a good yes, man. He was. He was uh, you're right. Uh, I I speak on that often, Evander, that we don't have the trainers, the teachers, the coaches. We don't have the right people developing our amateur programs anymore, and especially our Olympic programs. So I agree with you, a hundred percent. Who right now, in your estimation? Is the best heavyweight in the world, and why? Well, you, 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 you I would. You had to go with uh, Tyson Fury because I mean, it's proven. You know, I'm You know, you know, he's a guy that you know get overweight. He, you know, he, he, he do he do difficult things, but he's he's a good fighter though. He's a good fighter, and and it was just like I was I was surprised when he when he. When he when he he, he he stopped my man, uh, but you know, but but guy with a lot of heart and you know, family a family thing that he been doing for a long time, and, and he's smart. What do you think about the Roy Jones Tyson, whatever it is, uh, event, uh, <laughs> exhibition, whatever? Well, I, I, I think I'm it's exhibition and is and you know. Um, I hope to see you know. I hope both of them do do well. Who do you favor? Well, you know, I think I think if Tyson catch him, he gonna hurt him. But if he can't, but if Tyson can't catch him, it's gonna be a, a lousy fight. Yeah. Well, could you beat the winner? Well, you know, I, I my whole thing. I wanted to do an exhibition. Now, see, I didn't want to go twelve and all this, and you know. Four rounds. I'm, I'm that guy. My whole thing is, I just want to do something short. But only reason why I wanted to do it 
because the point of the matter is to tell it and to tell the young people, being able to tell young people if you take care of yourself. And so, you know, I have really have taken care of myself. A lot of bad habits I didn't have, you know, so my body, I'm still strong. I, I can still do pretty much, I can do 70% of the stuff I used to be able to do. I can do it. And like that, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm in good shape. You look good. Thank you. Man, you you always look good. Evander, speaking about what you just talked about, teaching the young people, showing the young people to take care of themselves. Uh, Obviously, you're talking about how they take care of themselves in a physical way, but also that would encompass emotionally, mentally, their lifestyles, uh, what they do. Again, to your point, to what your mother taught you, to not have bad habits or to get rid of the bad habits. I want to, again, just say thank you because that's what this that's what this conversation and what this interview is all about. It's about helping people. It's about, you know, what the foundation that you were gracious enough, as I said before, to come twice to, where we had a dinner with a thousand people and a lot of celebrities raising money to help the the people that can't help themselves, that fall through the cracks, to be quite frank. And I just want to say thank you for sending the message out there of how important it is to help others, to help others that need the help, that, as I said earlier, can't always help themselves, and to set an example to everybody that it's important to help people if you can, and I'd just like to ask you, towards the closing of this, what it means to you to be able to do what you're doing now and when you've come to our foundation. And I know that you also do a lot of charitable work in your area. To just speak about the importance of what that means to you. Well, it, it means a lot. I, I wouldn't be the person who I am if, if it wasn't people who had more than enough. You know, then the boys club cost a quarter to get in. I didn't even have a quarter, and and someone paid the quarter for me. And I, and you know, I actually used to think boxing was free because I never paid for anything. I found out of all them things, uh, the coach there, Mr. Morgan, he he paid for everything that I done. I I actually thought amateur boxing was free. I never paid anything, and so you know. Uh, so the big thing with me is to give back because, you know, I'm, you know, you know, I lived in the ghetto, but I lived a great life as a kid. I, you know, I went so many places. I traveled many places and, you know, you know, my parents, my parents didn't read. And so I, my father didn't read, my mom didn't read and all this and stuff like this. And so I was, I was pretty much upset and embarrassed a lot of time because I didn't have the knowledge and I didn't have the money. But my mama said, just pay attention and work hard. Outwork people. And so, you know, so, you know, my job was to listen, follow direction, and not quit. Those are the three things that my mama told me that would allow me to be successful. Well, you listened to her, and I'm glad you listened to her. <laughs> and a lot of people out there are glad you listened to her. And thank you for that message. Thank you for giving that message to so many people out there, so many kids out there 
that are lost and that need to hear that message. Uh, and also for showing how important boxing can be to develop young people if it's done the right way, if it's in the right hands, in the right responsible coach's hands, where you can take a kid who might not be sure of where he's going and give him the confidence, give him the discipline, give him the tools that he needs to conquer the world, whether in the ring or outside the ring. And you're a perfect example of that, of why boxing, when done right, is important. It develops young people into men. And I just want to thank you for that, and thank you for the time that you gave us today. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Um, huge fan of everything you've done. Loved watching your career. Uh, would love to see you fight the winner of Roy Jones and uh, Mike Tyson, if even in just an exhibition. Just love to get one more look at you in the ring. But, um, yeah, thanks. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Evander. Well, thank you. The Dr. Atlas Foundation thanks Amazon for being the event sponsor of the 2020 Virtual Teddy Dinner. Hi, my name is Zach, and I'm the Assistant General Manager here at an Amazon Fulfillment Center called JFK 8. We launched this fulfillment center in 2018, our first one in New York State, and we are so proud to call Staten Island home. An Amazon presence here means more than just the thousands of jobs provided within our walls. We strive to be not only great employers, but a great neighbor too. That means becoming part of the fabric of Staten Island by embracing the people, the needs, and the spirit of the community. It is incredibly important to us that we leverage our scale for good and make investments that support the local communities where our associates live and work. This is something we strive to do year-round at Amazon, but has become even more critical during the pandemic. We're so impressed by the important work that the Dr. Atlas Foundation has been doing to serve families in need, especially during such a challenging time. And we want to use our resources to help further your mission and make an even bigger impact together. At Amazon, technology and innovation fuel our business. Our employees work alongside innovative, advanced technologies, and we recognize the jobs of tomorrow require a stronger aptitude for STEM skills. We want to inspire the next generation of innovators to explore opportunities in science, technology, engineering, and math. So we're proud to announce that through our partnership with the Dr. Alice Foundation, we'll be able to provide access to a six-week virtual STEM education program for 500 local Staten Island students. One day, we hope they'll join our team at Amazon and teach us a thing or two as they build their careers here. On behalf of the whole JFKA team, thank you so much for all that you do. We're wishing you a very happy Thanksgiving, and we look forward to continuing to support the great work you're doing as we head into 2021. Evander is terrific. Yeah, Evander, he, I've done a lot of broadcasting with Evander. It was a great interview. Evander is my, one of my favorite, like a little small Evander stories. I remember he's this resonates with me every time I watch a fight. And sometimes a guy, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, sometimes guys are looking for a way out. Have you noticed that yeah, occasionally? Well, right. Evander, when he came back, I remember he had the heart condition and he didn't think he could fight again. And he came back. And I remember between rounds, I forgot which fight it was when he's coming back from the heart condition. A ringside physician came up and looked at Evander and said, Can you continue? And Evander looked at him. Like, he, he said, I have no idea what you're even saying to me yeah, right yeah, now. I know you said words, but they don't match up. Like, he was like, yeah. can, can I continue? Get out of here. Like, can what, I continue? What language are you? Like, <laughs> I don't understand this language. This, yeah, how you feel? Do you, want, do you want to keep fighting? 
Do I'm sorry, what? Like what? to Evander was a foreign language. What zone in the solar system <laughs> do you come from? Right. I, I I don't understand. Oh my god, such what, such heart. Such heart. Uh well in Webster's dictionary you you know, you don't need heart, you just put his picture yeah. in. I think everybody will qu quickly understand what word you're talking about. But just to piggyback off that real quick, in the Tyson ear biting fight. Mm -hmm. Now this he, he gets his ear bit, you know, and not once, but... Right, second time. Second yep. time. And um, it goes back, and uh, Mills Lane, the great referee, he says, I'm going to disqualify him. After the second one, he goes yep. back to a corner. <clears throat> Don Turner was in the corner with Evander, and he follows him back, doing his job as a ref. You right, know, right. There, there, there has to be some control there. Right, I mean, right. The He's well within his rights to stop I, that I fight. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Biting the ears is... There are rules. I, yeah. I, I, that's not to Marcus or Queen's back. <laughs> right. It ain't tea with the Queen, but you can't do that. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, exactly. Biscuits. <laughs> not ears. Right? I mean, right. You know, whatever they call them in England. Trumpets and trumpets. <laughs> whatever. So he, he follows them back to the corner, and he says, I'm disqualifying them. And, of course, Don Turner's going along with it. Right. Saying, uh, he looks at Turner and Mills. First Mills, then Turner. He says, put the mouthpiece in my mouth. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so you're not disqualifying anybody. Right. Put, uh, matter of fact, they asked the wrong words. Do you want to continue? Mm -hmm. Bad words. Right, right. right. <laughs> Bad words. Right, with right. He, he put the mouthpiece in right i'm going out there and i'm knocking him out right he must he might have thrown in another word that he didn't always use in church right you know <laughs> but he, that's the man he is the absolute best uh we're gonna have a, an interview with dickie v uh basketball hall of oh. famer a great broadcaster awesome baby the, the absolute best uh but first live auction again you can click on a lot of the things that are down the links that are there live auction is till 11 p.m tonight uh, what are the things that we have for live auction? And there's a lot of things in there that we're building every day. What are some of the things we have? Oh, we got a lot of stuff. And um, some of them off the top of my head, Manny Pacquiao signed gloves, uh, gloves signed by The Real Deal, Holyfield, mm -hmm. Mike Tyson signed gloves. Is that like a, did you have that in the trunk of your car? Like, like do you have one from the old days? Is that, where'd you get that? Well, we had Tyson in the trunk of the car, and it would have been... <laughs> that's that's uh, another story for another day. What's that called? Priceless? Yeah. <laughs> we're kidding around. I mean, listen, everybody's ready. Everybody's fine. We're, everybody's uh, fine. Everyone's good. <laughs> Every, all good. I mean, He's found peace. You found uh, peace. Everyone's good. Everybody's good. And we have signed Tyson gloves, which is nice. I mean, he's still hot. And People we, want to see him fight Roy Jones, and it's crazy. And there's a newspaper with the gloves that shows the date that they were signed. You know, next to it, just to show. It, <laughs> I, I, I get it now. Thank you. I'm a little slow, but I, no, I get it now. <laughs> uh, it Phil, all for love. You have a Phil Sims jersey, right? Yes, Phil, Phil Sims. Sims signed jersey. There's a Sugar Ray Robinson art piece in there, signed. Yeah, we have some good stuff. Shoot. I mean, uh, Dan Marino, Troy Aikman. There's, there's, there's good sports memorabilia in there. And again, you can get in there. Find something that you like. It can be a Christmas present. It's what a lot of people do every year. Find a good Christmas present. Very unique. And uh, again, pro you're helping out the foundation. It's a way to help the foundation. And, you know, it's, it's funny because you never know. God willing, none of you is ever going to have a problem with any of the things that we're working so hard to eliminate. Illness of sick children and, you know, a situation where a family is in dire need and, Besides the 
the illness that's doing what it's doing, but the fear that's choking them to death every night that mm -hmm. they go to bed and they got to look at each other. Is tomorrow going to bring some more help? Or are we going to be okay? You know, we could all be in that situation. And I can promise you that if it ever did happen, we'd be there for you if we knew about right. you. We really, I, it's not, this isn't a sales pitch. Mm -hmm. we, we would... We would be there for anybody that, as we've always been, anyone who needs help, uh, we're there to do the most we can. And, and as you often say, when we have the big audience out there, the big crowd, you say it every year, it's not you're, you're helping, but it's your help, your help. Yeah. It's you. It's the people out there, and it's the people out there now that are watching. You're helping, right? You're you're the. You might be the one going to the door. Foundation people go to the door. You're there because they make it possible. Again, get in on the the and live I add, auction. I add one yeah. thing to that. You're helping. You're the. It's your foundation, as we said earlier. Right. And you're you're the one that that makes the wheels turn. That that allows us to do. You trust us with your giving to get it to the right places, and sometimes it's not even the check. It's just caring. How many people that we've helped that have just said, "We it was dark. We 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 thought we were alone, and then we found out that there's people that care." Sometimes that, that's more important than the check. Mm. I mean, you, you right, need right. the physical help. You need the machine. You need the trip out of state where we send kids out of state with their families sometimes when their treatment program doesn't provide the proper treatment here or wherever they happen to be. Right. But it's just the knowledge that, hey, we're not alone. Hey, it's not dark. There's a light. And, and that's the most important part of it. I can't tell you how wow. many families have said that to me. That's powerful, right, to know that people care, the people out there that are helping, and people are helping tonight. Um, you can help on the live auction. Uh, again, you, our gold sponsor is Spectrum. Our silver sponsor is Ray Katina Lexus of Monmouth. You can text 76278, make a direct donation to the Atlas Foundation. But without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, your conversation with Dickie V, Dick Vital. Awesome, baby. All right, we're joined by the voice of college basketball, the great Dickie V, Dick Vitel. Dick, thanks for being with us. Well, it's great being with you. I know Teddy does a great job on behalf of his late dad and what he did with that foundation to help people in need. And I love people that want to help other people. I think that's really great. Thank you, Dick. I appreciate you being here and all the great work you do uh, for the, for the uh, Vital Foundation the uh, Jimmy V Foundation, you raised millions of dollars uh, to help people for the towards the co uh, cure for cancer every year. Where did that commitment come from? I know you were friends with Jimmy V, but I mean, what what made you uh, give such a you know such a lifelong commitment? You know, Teddy. First of all, I love young kids. I love young people, and just got involved. Certainly, being on a board with the V Foundation. I just told them I want to dedicate myself the dollars I raise all for pediatrics, all for kids. There's nothing worse than a mom and dad watching their child do a battle against cancer, doing chemotherapy, radiation. In fact, as you guys, as we are talking right now, Teddy, you and me and Rob, et cetera, as we're talking today, I will tell you flat up and down every day. Uh, people think they have a tough day. Well, today, 45 to 50 mothers and fathers are going to come out of a doctor's office and they're going to hear four words that no mom and dad ever wants to hear. Your child has cancer because it's life changing. 
It's life-changing for everybody in the family. Going to chemo, radiation, fears, worries. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Well, thank you for that commitment, what you do, uh, you know, for, for all the people that have a child suffering for cancer. Uh, at the Dr. Atlas Foundation, we, we help in the immediate ways if a family needs a wheelchair. Uh, as you know, Dick, the, that doesn't get covered by insurance. So we'll buy the wheelchair. Or if they need a wheelchair ramp to get their kid out easily uh, of the house uh, for an invalid child, we get the, we get the ramp. And, um, or if it's a mom that, that doesn't have the ability to pay for the cancer medication, sometimes insurance doesn't cover that. As crazy as that sounds, and you know it better than anybody, uh, a $300,000 operation would be covered by the insurance, but $1,200 a month for the medication might not be covered. And, and a single mom, she can't pay that. I mean, that might as well be $12,000 a month. So those are the kind of things that we do with the foundation. Uh, to help the people that fall through the cracks in life. And um, along the lines of what you do, we don't do it on quite as big a scale, but we we do our part, and we do it with the help of people like you that helps us raise money. So again, thank you for being here to do this. Well, I know, Ted, I think it's great what you're doing. I think obviously there's so many causes out there that are so positive what people do behind the scenes. And people got to, you know, I, I feel in my life, I'm sure you feel this way. I've been very blessed in my life. Be able to do things I do, make a living of something I love, talking basketball. I came from a great family. My mother and father were uneducated. They had a fifth grade education. But they had a doctor to love. They taught me in this great country that if you have pride and passion, and you work hard. And I used to always hear all the time from my mother and father, Richie was never dick. Richie, be good to people and people will be good to you. And how true that is. When I look at our nation right now, Teddy, we're, we're, we're really missing. There's not, not enough love. We don't have enough love. There's too much hate out there. What we need is what my mother taught my brother, sister, and I. If you treat people, I always hear every day, Richie, have a dick, Richie, treat people with respect, and people will treat you with respect. If we did that, every one of us treated each other with respect and love, we wouldn't have all this division and all these problems that we have. And it just breaks my heart because our nation is too good, and we have too many good people. We got to get back to loving one another. And what you're doing is... You're showing love on behalf of your dad, the foundation, helping others. I mean, you don't have to do it. I know it takes hours. I know in my case, we, we raised this year a virtual gala, $7.4 million. I can tell you, that's no accident. Wow. If I told you the hours and hours on the phone, begging, calling people, pleading how the kids need it, how we need it to help kids. Well, thank you, Dick. Thank you for those words. And again, thank you for walking the walk and doing what you do every day of your life, besides making a living uh, for your family and, of course, entertaining so many millions of people, but taking care of all the silent voices out there that need help, that are crying, and not everybody can always hear them. You know, you just touched on something that's so important, and I say it at our dinner every year. This year we can't have a dinner, so we're doing this, obviously, but I always say it, it's not always to check. You know, we get to check to the people. We'll fly a family out of state when they need a different treatment program that is not available where they live. Uh, we'll do all that. We'll put them up in a hotel. But really what it is mostly for these people is that one word, the most important word, 
care that that they know and you just touched on it just that they know that somebody cares that they're not alone that's the most important so i gotta be honest with you sometimes the least we've done has been the most important to some people because they came back and told me we thought we were alone we thought the lights were out we thought there was nothing but darkness and then all of a sudden we found out there's people out there that really do care that we're not alone and that emotional support sometimes is as important if not more important than anything else i couldn't agree more with you i i, I think that's a tremendous point you made right there caring and giving a damn i i know sometimes my wife will say to me you get a bigger kick out of doing it than them receiving and i and i really do uh, i i love bringing a smile to someone's face and 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 i think that's you know you're born with that you got that from your family you got that in your character and it's part of who you are i know i hear a lot about you from howie schwab and matt sanduli and they all praise the hell out of you for the unbelievable caring that you do and i like to think people you know, I want to be remembered as somebody that just didn't talk basketball, but that had pride and passion in what I did and that I cared for others. You know, Teddy, it's getting up there in years, man. I'm 81 now. I act about 12, but I want to, I want to, I want the last chapter to be the best chapter of all. And right now I'm going crazy because my Rays are down three games to two to the Dodgers. And I need some luck in game six on tomorrow. And if we get game six, I'm telling those Dodger fans, they're done. Because they're going to be this game seven. It's like your, your Yankee fans right out in New York, man, with their $200 million payroll. They found out when it went Remind to the final us. game and they had their $300 million picture. You know what, Teddy? They're watching on TV and the Rays are playing. I'm only teaching you. No, I, I listen. You you earned the right to say that. Uh, there's, there's a lot of merit in what you're saying. It's not about the money. It's about the character of the person you get, the hunger of the person that you get. That are there. Sometimes I always would say that years ago when the Yankees had some of their better squads before free agency and all that, they did it through the they did it through the farms where they had these hungry kids coming up. And I think there's something to that. You know, I'm not saying that these free agents that you pay hundreds of millions of dollars to don't help the club. But I think sometimes when you bring them up in the farms and they're a little hungrier, they're able to develop in that way. That that can be the difference sometimes. Uh, you know, not only for longevity to have a team for a long time, but just just in the little nuances of the game, you know, that, that these young players bring, uh, where sometimes sometimes a guy that's been paid all that money will be satisfied to a certain extent. And, um, and the young kids are never satisfied. But I'll say one thing about your team, about the Rays, Dick. Um, you guys ain't out of it. You guys are in the position you're supposed to be in because you're a bunch of fighters. Because you just alluded to it, you're not these big fat cats, you know. You're not you're not these all these proven stars. You're a bunch of gritty fighters. That's how you got there, and that's how you're going to wind up winning. And you're in the perfect position. You're not supposed to be ahead. You're not as much as you would love them to be ahead. You're not so, and you know that more than anyone. You're a fighter. That's you. You're a fighter. You're that person. That's probably why you like the race. Besides, you live around there. So I would say they they they're right where they belong. They belong to be one down this way they can they can use their resolve they can use their greatest quality which is to fight and come back be the underdog and go beat the dodgers with that big payroll almost as big as the yankees well i like it what you say and i'm hoping and praying that happens that way i always try to look at the glass half filled rather than half empty anyway
You know, all my life I've been in a fight. I lost my eyes as a kid, Teddy. And my parents taught me, and never, ever to feel sorry for myself. My mother would always say, Richie, in her own Italian way, one eye, big deal. One eye, you could do anything anybody else does. I'd give anything today for my mom and dad to see the home I live in, the places I go, the people I meet. And just, it's all happened because she taught me and my dad taught me never, ever. I used to hear this all the time, Jenny. Never, ever believe in can't, Richie. Don't let that be part of your life. And then she'd always say to me, and my dad would say 15 times a day in the house, be good to people and people will be good to you. My God, have people been good to me? Teddy, I can't run. I can't jump. I can't shoot. I got a body by linguine and lasagna and <laughs> ravioli. You know, I'm in 14 Hall of Fames. 14, can you believe that? All these things, I pinch myself, pinch myself. I've been so blessed and lucky. I think that's another reason why I want to be good to people and give back. We've raised $37 million. If people want to know more what I do, and I have a new book out right now, Teddy, it's called The Lost Season. And the book is really about what could have been and would have been had we had March Madness. But the biggest thing about the book is that every dollar that I would make, every dollar, not 60 cents, every dollar is going in a pot to go to the Beautiful. Big Foundation for kids battling cancer. So if anyone wants an autographed copy, all they got to do for 29 bucks, go to my website, nickvital.com. nickvital.com, you get an autographed copy. If you want me to sign one that says, Teddy is the greatest boxing guy in the history I would write that in no time. I write anything to make the dollars for the kids. <laughs> well, Dick, you know, you just... It's funny, you um, you touched on the accident that you had where you lost your eye. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people don't know that, that, you know, that's one of the things that you overcame. And it's it's funny, there was a fighter, I'm sure you remember him, I bet you that they talked about him in your household, uh, his name was Carmen Basilio. Oh, and, I'm Basilio, um, he was tough, tenacious, <laughs> you talk about a guy would take Punch after punch after punch. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. Well, he fought the great Sugar Ray Robinson. And um, he beat him the first time, which, you know, very few people beat Sugar Ray Robinson. And and then in the rematch, his eye closed. Literally closed. I mean, like this. One eye. And you'll appreciate this. It's along the lines of what your mom said. Um, he was He fought 15 rounds with one eye, like the Cyclops. And at the end of the fight, decision, and at the end of the fight, the newspaper writers, boxing was the biggest sport in the country in those days, the newspaper writers all got around Carmen and said, Carmen, if you had two eyes, if you, if you had two eyes, would you have won that fight? Would you have had a better shot at winning that fight? Is that what lost it for you? And just like your mom, she, he says... What are you talking about? There was nothing wrong with the other eye. <laughs> I had I had one good one. I had yeah. one good one. That's all that's all I should need. That's all I should need. So that attitude permeates uh maybe from that generation, but it's an attitude that should always permeate uh with all people, all generations. That you can make it, you don't that you don't have to uh ever, ever say that you can't do something. You know, Teddy, I, I got a little boxes the story I want to share with you. Sure. I grew up in a little town called Garfield, New Jersey, over okay. in uh, Bergen County. You know where Garfield is? Yeah, Garfield. of course. 
North Jersey. I know where right? it is. Garfield, um, matter of fact, that's where my son got married. There's a big uh, catering hall, really nice catering hall yeah, over there. Yep, yeah, yeah, there is. But let me share this story. My father, this was years and years ago. My father was so excited because in our town was a boxing legend in our town, for our town. Not national, but in Garfield, he was like a legend. in paper all the time. I want to know if you ever heard this guy's name. Tippy Larkin. Yeah, that of course. He was a good he was a good boxer. He couldn't break an egg. But he was a real, real good boxer. Very good yeah. boxer. Well, here's the story. The whole town is going crazy. He's gonna fight him at Square Garden supposedly against Kid Gavilan. Remember Kid Gavilan? Yeah, a great Cuban fighter. He had the bolo punch, one of the greatest yep. chins in the history of the sport. Great, great champion, uh, welterweight champ of the world. Well, my father put his dollars together. My mom worked in a factory, so money was tough, man. But, boy, he wanted to be with everybody, get on a bus, pay their money, and go to the fight. So he went to the fight. My father had to go to the bedroom. He goes, this is right. he goes to the bedroom. He goes back to sit down. He says, hey, they're getting ready to start now. Said the guy's buddy said, hey, John, the fight's over. He knocked them out in one round. Kid Gavilan knocked them out right away. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, no, no. Listen, first of all, Larkin was a terrific boxer. Maybe that, maybe not that night, but he was a terrific boxer. But he was in there with a great fighter. Kid Gavilan was one of the great fighters. I mean, welterweight champion for Sugar Ray uh, Robinson. He fought everybody. You got to remember something. Back in those days, you had the greatest fighters probably of all time, and they were all at the same era, and they were all fighting each other. It didn't matter if you lost a fight or you lost two or three or four. You were right back in there next week at Madison Square Garden or wherever fighting the top guys. So you you had a really you had to be really a good fighter back in that era to be around. And Larkin was a really good boxer. Um, I used to love Friday night, man. Friday night fights, man. I used to I couldn't wait. Not in Dumfield. I couldn't wait for those fights. I'm giving my age now, big time. Let's get back to what we were talking about. People out there, please, if you're listening, please help Teddy and help his foundation in his dad's name to help people in need because that's really what this is all about. Our conversation here is about extending a hand with love in our heart to try to help others. And please, I beg you to help him. And then also, if you want to help me, just go to my website, dickvitale.com, and get my new book, The Lost Season, uh, at that website. Dick, we love you. Hey, Teddy Atlas, man, to me, people listening, he's awesome, baby, with a capital A. <laughs> he's the best on ESPN. I'd say he's the 3S man. He's super <laughs> simple and sensational. Hey, Rob, if I had your looks, I'd be a TV star. <laughs> or Ken's. <laughs> Thanks, right, Dickie. Guys. Appreciate Take you, care. brother. Thank you, Dick. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. Love you, Dick. Dickie V is the absolute best. You know, if people could see it, I, I the, the pleasure of working with uh, Dick Vitale uh, and Digger, Big Mondays, ESPN, Digger Phelps, yeah. in, in the in the in the, the heyday, great Notre Dame coach. That's right, and 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 Dick and Digger, like every night, like while games are going on and different things, they always have like a couple of basketballs. Here, you got to sign this for me. I got to bring it back to my auction. You know, there's <laughs> I sign everything is about like you know you know like you year round. It's like hey, we got you know we got to keep getting stuff out there for our auctions. We got to raise money. He's indefatigable. I mean, he never stops working to help. He's helped so many kids. He's, he's just a prince of a guy, Teddy. Yeah, he really is. And um, he never disappoints you. Good people like that never let you down. 
you know, no matter where they are in life, they find a way. Yeah. You know, to uh, to do what matters, help others. We're going to keep going on. Uh, Phil Sims coming up next. But again, gold sponsor is Spectrum. So thanks to, again, the heavy hitters that come in and everybody that's donated already. You can continue to donate. But we need all those jabs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But get, nothing, a, get a points lead. Nothing, get a points lead. Nothing gets landed without a jab. <laughs> that's right. 76278. Again, you can text, make a direct donation, 76278. Now we go to the Super Bowl champion quarterback, Phil Sims. All right, guys. We're joined by two-time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, two-time Pro Bowler, and legendary good person, Phil Sims. Phil, welcome to the show. Ken, good. Teddy, good to see both of you. And uh, I wish we could see each other in person, but this is the way life is right now. You know, Zoom. Uh, I don't know who created Zoom, but uh, (laughs) I guess it's a good thing. (laughs) <laughs> but man, I've done more Zoom calls or, or been on the computer more this off season during this COVID nineteen epidemic than in, compared to my whole life. But it's good, great to see you guys. Now it's great seeing you, Phil. Thank you for being here. And um, it's a good thing if you have, if you own stock in the company, then it's a good thing. Oh well, uh, of course I wouldn't do that. I don't want to make that kind of money. <laughs> yeah, regarding who created it, I'm pretty sure it's some nerds in San Francisco. But oh, of course, somebody <laughs> smart, you know. Oh well, whatever. But it's yeah. I've said I've said some few things. I go when Zoom came out. Why did I buy some stock? I, I guess it's a stock, right? That's it, right. It's probably yeah. Of course, yeah. No. For me, a good investment, Teddy. For me, a good investment is something that just loses a little money instead of a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, well, you're in the same ballpark as me. Uh, you know, Phil, this podcast and this uh, special episode is for to do what everybody's doing now that runs charity foundations to keep helping people, which is to do a virtual event now, as you as you uh, suggested before. It's a different world. And this is where we are. So I want to thank you again for being part of that and for doing what you've done for so many years. The foundation been around for 24 years and you've been part of it for an awful long time, helping us raise money. And not only by coming to the events, which you help us with that big fundraiser, which this is replacing this year, the virtual event. But usually we have a thousand people at the Hilton Hotel on Staten Island always the Thursday before Thanksgiving. It just turned out that way. Kind of like, I always thought, you know, maybe it turned out that way because it's a good time to just remember what we are thankful for, that we're in a better position than a lot of people are in the world and that we're privileged to be able to and fortunate enough to be able to help others. And everybody comes together. You're a big part of that. Help us raise money. And not only do you do that, but you have a relationship with Investors Bank, who are really tremendous people. I've gotten to know them, and they're they're awfully generous, good-hearted people that truly care about helping the communities where they are. And you've given us grants from Investors Bank. And I just want to tell you, so other people can hear this, uh, they've done a lot of good just like you coming to the dinner and all those other celebrities that come every year. We get 40, 50 celebrities that come and help us do the thing we got to do to raise money. But we use one of your grants to put in a handicap accessible bathroom into a 10-year-old's apartment 
with a single mom. And the mom turned out to be sick too. But she had a 10-year-old boy with muscular dystrophy. She could no longer handle getting him into the bathroom uh, alone. And we needed to put this accessible bathroom in, handicapped bathroom. She couldn't afford it, obviously. And you gave us a grant, and we used it for that. You also gave us another grant uh, with Investors Bank. And we used that to open up a food pantry for senior citizens uh, during this COVID time where the seniors are afraid to get out. They can't get out of the projects. They can't get out of their apartments. And, um, you know, they're, they're the most vulnerable of everybody right now. So I just want to tell you that before we got started talking about your career and talking about other things. But thank you. <laughs> You're a good person. And and Bill Parcells was right about you. Bill Parcells <laughs> told me, he said, listen, tell Sims, keep it simple, hit the open guy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, that's and it. Yeah. he said, here, do the job. Just tell him, just keep it easy, uh, hit the open guy. And that's what you've always done. You've hit the open guy with us. And the open guy was the people in need. So that's that's, I needed well, to say that. Teddy, let me say this. Thank you. It hurts my heart to hear those stories. It does. Uh, of course, that's one of the reasons why I love uh, trying to help out when I can, especially with you, because you're a great person, Ken. Great to see you part of this, too. But, you know, coming to that dinner, and it's great. You know, I'm a big boxing fan, and so I get to meet a lot of the boxers that come. That's that's always fun. And, uh, every, and the people that you – one year I said to you, well, let me buy a table, and you go – well, I, we don't, we've already sold the tables. I went, well, that's great. So that tells me how much people love what you're doing and support you. But uh, to see all the boxers and hear their stories and all, it, that, that's a thrill for me. I mean, I never, when I see Jerry Cooney, I'm going, man, Jerry, I was there with you, right? You know, <laughs> all those matches. And that was back when we would literally be, we would go to Giant Stadium. And Parcells was, is a big fight fan, of course, a boxing fan. And we would get the satellite feed into the stadium. And we would all be in there, the whole team, or whoever enjoyed boxing, which was a lot of us. And we would watch all these big fights. And the, the room was crazy. So I don't know. It was, uh, so it's a thrill for me to come uh, to the dinner when I get those opportunities. And uh, I really, truly appreciate everything that you're doing for people. And... Um, you know, we all got to step, step back, and, and me included. Life is busy, so much going on. Step back and uh, realize what we got, how lucky we are, and try to help other people. Yeah, you're, you're so right, Phil. And um, thank you for being a person that realizes that. Talking about Bill Parcells, let me jump right into it. Give me a Bill Parcells story, please. <laughs> I know you. I know you. I know you. Well, gotta you know, have. look, I, I say this to quarterbacks in the NFL all the time. We I throw footballs with a lot of quarterbacks in the offseason and at, at all levels. And I tell them once, some pro quarterbacks, I said, I know you're not going to believe this story, but in 1984, the opening game of the year is against the Eagles. Now, you know, all you hear about from coaches now, oh, we can't turn the ball over. Oh, just don't turn the ball. Well, then kneel on the ball every play, coach. You'll never turn it over. But but I'm walking out of the locker room door, first game of the year, and my career could have been on the line a little bit then because we were having some rough patches, and his too. So I'm walking past him as I'm getting ready to go out on the field. He goes, hey, Sims. And I stop, and he goes, if you don't throw at least two interceptions – you're not taking enough chances. Go out there and let it go. 
And I'm thinking, well, I can take care of that interception thing for you. Don't worry about that. But, but you know, it was his way of just relieving pressure. And it would be the same in boxing. You can't be defensive all the time. you got to let it go every once in a while. And I'm not saying you want to take a chance in boxing. But in football, there's opportunities out there that, you know, you've got to be aggressive. You know, you can't just hope the game is perfect. It's a, it's a game of adversity, and you got to take those chances. He really taught me that. Uh, that's just one, one story, which when I tell quarterbacks that they can't believe a coach would say those things to you. But the other one was I came in the locker room one morning, 730 in the morning. I was just the first guy there. He's sitting down in the player's locker room. We had a little table. He's sitting in a leather chair. Then he, I think he was smoking. He smoked for a little while. Smoking a cigarette, drink a cup of coffee. He looks at me and goes, hey, Sims, come here. And I'm like, holy Christ, can I get a cup of coffee? I just go over there. Right away, I can feel the tension because Bill was all about today's the biggest day in our life every day. And he goes, how many passes did you complete in practice yesterday? And I, uh, uh, you know, I'm stuttering because I'm already like, where's this going? He goes, I'll tell you how many you completed. Not very many. By God. <laughs> and, and he goes, I tossed and turned a whole dang night. And, of course, I'm cleaning the language up. And as my wife goes, oh, Bill, what's the matter? He goes, my effing quarterback can't complete a pass. And, I mean, so this is 730 in the morning, guys. And Good so my, thing. I am like this for, for till about 2.30 when we go out in the field because I got to go out to practice and the pressure is on that I, if I don't have a good practice, he's going to go nuts. And, and I, the wide receiver coach, Pat Hodson, good friend, great guy, says to me, as I'm walking out the practice field, he heard the whole story. He goes, I'll tell the receivers to be ready today because it's coming. I said, <laughs> yeah, Pat, shut up. You better tell him I'm going to break some fingers. <laughs> so that's Bill. I mean, it was every day was the most important day of our life as far as football players. And I'll tell you what. I'm sitting here talking to you and Ken today for one reason. Bill Parcells was our coach. He was demanding, like you are with your fighters and everybody. And, uh, of course, this guy, Lawrence Sater, helped us a lot, too. Yeah, I think so, he did. I think he was – he was yeah, he, he could play so. a little bit, that guy. Um, oh, my gosh. He, he was – Lawrence Taylor in boxing terms, Teddy and Ken, he was Mike Tyson for, like, 10 years. Wow. Undefeated, wow. you know, whatever, except he was longer than probably Tyson's run. You know, Lawrence was just, to this day, still one of the best athletes to, to play a position in the NFL, without a question. You, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of piggyback off that, and I'm not sure, obviously, where you're going to go with this, but first of all, I want to say all you people out there complaining about your bosses, shut up. Okay, <laughs> shut up. Listen to Phil. Okay, be grateful. Be grateful you don't have the boss like he had. Uh, it could be a lot worse. Although that's joking because Phil, as he said, if it wasn't for Bill Parcells, he um he wouldn't have had the career he had. So you need somebody who is going to push you, who's going to hit the no buttons. Question. There's you know. Uh, here's the question: If you were to pick one fighter that you thought, or one player, one football player that you thought could be a top fighter, you know, Ooh. who would it be? Who would it be? Out of all the guys you've played against, you played with, you know, whatever. You know, that's an interesting question. You know, for years, Lou Duva used to come up to our training camp 
And I would talk to him and I'd say, you know, what's going on? He goes, yeah, I'm just looking for a guy that maybe is not going to make the team that I can turn into a fighter because it'll be a great story and all that. Now, he never found that guy, but he, I saw him, I think, three straight years, and he would hang around for like three days checking all the players out, their body types, whatever. And, of course, whoever he got was going to be a heavyweight guy for sure, sure almost, of course, just yeah. about. But, you know, it, it's – I would think Lawrence was, was a guy that – you know, I hate to just keep singling him out because I'm really having a hard time thinking of some – maybe Maurice Carthon or a fullback because, you know, he had that mentality of a, of a boxer. Just, man, he, he can hang in there. It never got too tough. And, you know, and, of course, athletically, he was really good, um, all those things, and kind of had the body type, too, to be a really good boxer uh, or you know, that to have a chance, I think. But Lawrence, you know, he's a really big guy naturally, and there was nothing he couldn't do. So I'm sure if you put a pair of boxing gloves on you, on him, he would, you would say, hey, boom, boom, whatever he go. You mean like this? And you'd go, oh, baby, yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, so it, he could play basketball. He's a good golfer. I mean, I played many things with him, ping pong, it, whatever it was. We did it all, and he was good at everything. So I would think that's, that's the only guy I can really think of on our team. A few other ones, but those two stick out. Go ahead, Ken. Oh, I was going to say, what about Herschel Walker? Not only could he, but he did. And now Greg Hardy, who played for the Dallas Cowboys, is beating people up for a living in the uh, UFC. Well, Greg Hardy, that's – see, he that Greg Hardy is a – what's the word for it? You know, he's just not quite human. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's not he's, – He's meant to do things like well, that. They call him. They call him freak. You know, they say He's the guy's freak. like a freak. Yeah, you know? that's what we always say. Guys yeah. that just really, truly stick out from when you stick out with among professional athletes, then you know that's of course it's like LeBron. When exactly a basketball player that's got the shoulders of a big heavyweight boxer of an NFL defensive end linebacker, whatever. I mean, so yes, but it's it's interesting. I also think about Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders as just incredible athletes, that those are the types of guys that if they tried to play anything, tennis, ping pong, boxing, you just feel like they'd be the best at anything, where they can play yeah. two professional sports and be amongst the best at both. But there's one thing that, that differentiates or that you know comes into play with boxing. It's the mental side. I know you yep. got to have that in football. Obviously, Phil can speak to that better than anybody. But you have to have that in spades in boxing. Yeah, I mean, Tool Tool Jones was a hell of an athlete, the Dallas Cowboys defensive end. He couldn't make it in boxing, yep. you know, because it's it's a different discipline, you know. It, it's a different it's a different fear. I'm gonna sure. throw that at you, Phil. It's a different fear, because oh. yeah, because out there on the football field, look, there there's fear. Anyone who says that's not true, they're a liar, or they should go to a doctor to find out what's wrong with them. You control it, you use it. But if you didn't have some kind of, whether you want to call it fear or anxiety, whatever you want to call it to make yourself comfortable, it's out. it has to be there and it has to be controlled. But you got 11 other guys you can saddle up next to to relieve that a little bit, to share that a little bit. In boxing, guess what, baby? It's just you and him. And, every, and you can't hide. What I mean by that is, Maybe you give in, you submit a little bit on the field and it gets lost on the tape because you got other guys that you can blend in with. 
in the ring, it doesn't get lost. It's the eyes on you. You're alone. Everybody sees. The truth is there to be seen. So for me, the mental side, you'd have to get a guy, and, and you spoke to it well when you said Maurice Cawthon. I liked what you said. I was following you. Right away you said he was a fullback. He had that mentality because you do have to have that mentality that a fullback would have. I'm going to give myself up. Because a fullback has to do that. I'm going to give myself up, whether it's going to be for the halfback, blocking for him, to escort him in, or whether it's myself, giving myself up to make two yards when it's down in the trenches, because that's when they're going to call me. That's when my number's coming. I have to have that mentality. So for me, that that is going to be a big part of it. Uh, no doubt. Listen, um, as I walks, watch a boxing match, is really, there's nothing, you know, look, fear has to be there at all times, I would think, because it only takes one punch for your, not only the fight, but almost your career can change everything in one punch. And, you know, in football, we can get away with getting all those punches as many as 5, 10, 15 times a game and still win the fight. Uh, but, you know, in boxing, as I watch them, especially the heavyweights, I mean, hell, God, they're out there. I'm just, I can feel the tension because they know they're moving and whatever. And it's just, they're, you know, Teddy, of course, I never, I just boxed with my brothers in the basement and they were all older than me. So you know what happened to me. But, <laughs> and so, but I, I can just sense the, not, not fear. I don't sense that, but the readiness that your mind can never wonder for a second. And, you know, in, in most sports, you can kind of lose that same thought for a little bit here and there and still get away with it where look i don't know never got in a ring or nothing like that but i know you can never let down for one second and i love listen i watch you all the i watch almost every fight that's on pay-per-view it, it, it's just almost every one if i miss one it's just because gosh i forgot it was coming on tonight and uh so or whatever but it's it's a great parallel but you know the last thing football players that have the ability, especially quarterbacks, because it is so thinking so much. But when you can grind out and think through every play in the game, that's a special quality where you just are really on top of it mentally and your mind is just working at a furious pace and it can do that for the whole game. Those are guys that usually end up being the superstars uh, if they got you know some naturally uh, gifts athletically. Uh, when they can do that, and, you know, one that just – we saw one last night, Drew Brees. He is the grinder of all time. His mind, and he never quits thinking, and he's so quick, and he's trained himself to be great. Um, really, when athletically, he'll never go down as one of the top probably 25 gifted quarterbacks in the NFL, but his success and what he's done will put him in the top five. Well, your, pos your position um, demands – that the mind is always, always, always in, in control. That you're never, the way I look at it and say it in boxing, you're never in the passenger seat. You're always in the driver's seat. <laughs> always. You can't, you can't be enjoying the ride. 
Go ahead, Ken. Yeah. Hey, one one more quick thing about football is um, I wanted to ask you, you've won two Super Bowls, you're a Super Bowl MVP. When you think back about these things, what brings you more joy? Thinking about that feeling of when you won the Super Bowl, I know that you're not going to say winning the MVP because it's a team effort, I get it, but winning the Super Bowl or seeing your kids play in the NFL? Because for me, the feeling of my kids' accomplishments, like I, I could win the Olympic gold medal, but seeing my kids have any ounce of success, whatever it is, is just like, it's so overwhelming to me. I just, I, I enjoy their happiness so much. Can you talk to me about how, those kind of feelings and seeing your kids have such a huge level of success? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, listen, it, it is joyous and all those things. And, and uh, you know, just like, um, you know, my kids grew up in the sport. You know, they played other sports, but we talked about it all the time. But, yeah, to see them have the success that they did, just to even make it, which is really tough and all that, yeah, it brought great joy. I enjoyed um, – you know, I, I was it, – it's like you guys. You know sports well enough. I would go to the games when I had opportunities, uh, which was – looking back, I wish I'd have made more opportunities to go, but I didn't because I was working and making a living and, you know – I wasn't making $30 million or $40 million a year as a quarterback like they do now. So, but whatever. But I knew, good or bad, I could accept it because I knew what the position entailed. I didn't sit in the stands and go, oh, the, I, hey, there's going to be rough spots. Hang in there. Hope it turns around, stuff like that. And I think probably the hardest thing, Ken, is to sit around and listen to people, what they say about your kids when <laughs> I'm they're sure. quarterbacks. Oh, my gosh. I usually was good for no more than one or two series in one spot and said, you know, I think I better leave here and go find another spot and sit somewhere else and go, man, this is worse than the first spot. And so you, you kind of move around as a parent of a quarterback because uh, in football, fans really only know two things, blame the coach or blame the quarterback. And it, it, it really is the truth right now. That's all that's focused on. Watch TV. That's all they talk about. And it, I, I'm not crazy about that, but that's the way it is because simplified, and we can all have an opinion on the quarterback and coach. But it was great to watch my kids uh, play. And uh, unfortunately, my oldest son, Christopher, had a really serious injury, which really truly ended and ruined his career. And my son, Matthew, very talented. Um, he really was. He could throw it. People always say, who's the best thrower between you and Christopher? And I always go, my son, Matt. Uh, you know, he played for the Jets. He was at Buffalo. He was with the Falcons. He was actually down uh, trying out this year a little bit for the Houston Texans. And, you know, his career is over. But he was the best thrower of all three of us. He could just – but being a quarterback, just like everything else, it's kind of – it's got to fall in line. And sometimes if it just doesn't work out the right time, and that's especially now that that's how it works. So, but it was fun overall. I'm proud of both of them. They're good kids. And uh, it was great being the parent of them or still, I shouldn't say that. Phil, um, my last question, I would probably fans would be upset if I didn't ask you speak about your Super Bowl moment. I mean, you, you win in a Super Bowl MVP, everything. Um, just speak on that for a moment of what that meant. Well, you know, it meant everything, you know, it meant so much to my life and people that surround me for their lives and everything, you know, my family. I'm talking to you today and Ken because we got to Super Bowls, had some good years, and 
you know, we played, we won, you know, those are, it's, it's changed my life. There's no question. And I think about it all the time. I just go, wow, man, what if I would really played bad and we'd lost? Well, I probably wouldn't be in New York. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it really is a fine line like that, but you know, uh, during the game and it, like all sports, nothing ever crossed my mind. I just played. And I can remember never really getting excited or whatever. Just I just played. Here's the play. We play. And, you know, you can call it whatever you want, being in the zone. But there was no outside forces that ever even touched me. You know, times when I – we always had times where I wasn't feeling well, which I'd been sick maybe the night before or even the day of the game. Those are games I think back, I go, oh, my gosh, my focus was unbelievable because I was self-protecting and – just doing what I do. And that's kind of how it was in the Super Bowl for me. It just, I could see it, it just, it fell into place. We were really, you know, so many things go into it. But it's almost like boxing for you, Teddy, that it just, um, it just went exactly how we planned it. Here's our strategy going in the fight. and We never really had to adjust the strategy. So thank God it was just that day physically, mentally, we were all on the same page. It worked well. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be, you know, the MVP of uh, one of the Super Bowls. Not fortunate enough. You earned it. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's well, the only way you're going to get it. But um, you didn't have to do any counterpunching in that game. You, like you said, you just stuck to your game plan, which was to be the boss. Well, you know, we talked about Parcells earlier. And, you know, he was so hard on me sometimes. And uh, But it, it, it never really bothered me. It, it, it just, that was... He knew he could talk, you know, Teddy and Ken, sometimes, you know, you got to talk to the team, but the only way to really get the message to the team, you have to talk through somebody else. So he would scream and yell at me for no reason because he wanted the rest of the guys to shape up. So he'd do it through me and I I could take it. You know, sometimes I go, damn, does it always have to be me? (laughs) But, uh, you know, but Bill, after that game, just looked at me and he goes, and, you know, he never really did this kind of stuff because, Sims, you were, you were magnificent. And he just, and I just went, God, Bill, you okay? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, for, you know, it was after you win a Super Bowl, it's one time you, you actually just let everything out, your feelings and your guard down and all that. It's just, it's, it's awesome. Here we are, we're talking about 1986 and we're 34 years later. It's like it all happened yesterday. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad that way, but that's the way it is, that we did that first Super Bowl 34 years ago and uh, still remember it like it's yesterday. Oh, that's tremendous. And, Phil, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for being with me and the foundation for so many years. Thank you for helping us to help other people. And just thank you for being a good person. Teddy, Great to talk to you and Ken. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I really admire you for what you do, Ken. Everything just to do it. I know I, people don't realize I have some friends that, you know, have foundations and they work hard. The work that goes into it, I can't imagine. It's probably, I try to imagine it. I'm sure it's triple whatever I think it is because I know it is. And uh, you're a great person for doing this and, and, Look, I try to help you out whenever I can, so I'm always there. And uh, no, so, you don't try to; you do it. Uh, well, stop I, that I, BS I about stop trying to. People <laughs> try to. You do it. You do it. And I I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. 
talking about fear. Fear is in a lot of places. The fear for me is every year, a few months before the dinner, I have to ask for things. I don't like asking. And I got to make phone calls. And I got to worry every year. Is this going to be the year that somebody's going to say no? And you never say no. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you, Phil. That's all. Teddy, thank you. Thank you. Thank Ken. Great to talk to you, man. Everything. Thanks for having me on, guys. Y'all enjoy the rest of your day. Huge honor, Phil. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. It's a great chat. All right. Thanks, Ken. Ken, you look like you're still in great shape, too, man. That way. (laughs) As I always say, you know, people say to me, you know, hey, Phil, you're still in pretty good shape. I go, man, the fight never ends. This is preservation (laughs) now. We got to stay with it and keep going. So it's great. I'd take it a little bit easier if I had two Super Bowl rings. That's for sure. No, you wouldn't. (laughs) No, you wouldn't. You're not that kind of guy. Satisfaction is not a word. Just keep moving on. So That's thanks. Right. All right, guys. Thank you so much, Teddy. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, All right. Phil. The Dr. Atlas Foundation thanks Amazon for being the event sponsor of the 2020 Virtual Teddy Dinner. All right, Phil Sims. Great to hear from Phil Sims. No, he's great. He's just... um. I guess it would be fair. I know you're going to laugh when I say this, but I think of him as the great blue-collar quarterback, but with the talent and the same blue-collar attitude as a Marvin Hagler. Hmm. Now, Marvin Hagler, one of the greatest middleweights of all time, maybe the greatest southpaw of all time, but the greatest in both those categories. Middleweights, nobody's going to argue with that. I wouldn't allow them to. Mm -hmm. But... A blue collar guy, not not a Sugar Ray Leonard with that that kind of flash, right, you know, and right. and all the sizzle and everything else. And Leonard was great. Oh my God! But Hagler, blue collar greatness. Yeah. Phil Sims, blue collar greatness. Yeah. And the attitude is part of the greatness. It kind of makes up for some of the other sizzle that's not there. That makes sense to you. In uh, yeah. Describing absolutely. him. Yeah. Marvelous is 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 probably my all time favorite. Is Want to he? pick one guy to watch? Yeah. 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 I mean, he could Marvelous. do it all. He'd go get you, walk you down, mm-hmm. track you down, uh, or he could box, you know, counter punch, whatever. You know, all right. I got I got a Hagler story. So we, we bring him back to Vegas for ESPN. I'm doing Friday night fights. And he would come once once a year. We developed a relationship with, uh, you know, with Marvin. He would come back each summer, do Friday night fights, be in the studio with me, right? It was like big thrill. Yeah, I, I'd walk, I'd walk. I, I was there. Yeah, I, was, I know you were there. You I were... was in a place without their condition. <laughs> I was I, I'm just saying. I, go ahead. I'm... I was in the studio where it got chilly sometimes. Yeah, the, but they always vest, had a sweater for you. Sweater vest, a jacket. Yeah. I was we concerned about you sometimes. <laughs> Catching a little bron- bronchial type. You, you, said well, that, stiff neck. you said you said to Sugar Ray one time. So we had Sugar Ray letter there. Yeah. You said, "Sugar Ray, put 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 a little sweater on. You get a crick in your neck." And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> while I'm dripping. You you and Bob Papa would be out like at some like in, what uh, county fair in, in Iowa in August, and in, I was uh, sweat pouring down your face. Yeah. And Max and I are sitting in there going, "Boy, they're sweating a lot, aren't they?" <laughs> and I say, "You guys okay? The air conditioning not too high." Yeah, no, we're okay. We're a little You're chilly. Right? Okay. A little chilly, Teddy. I'm alright. You don't have a cough there, do you, Brian? Uh, so we but we go out to Vegas with Hagler and we're doing a remote site and I think uh must have been a, a b-hop like Jermaine Taylor fight something like that we're covering it and so we Hagler agreed to come to Vegas he hadn't been to Vegas since he was fighting 
Wow. So he hadn't been to Vegas since Sugar Ray Leonard. I fight. remember when he was with you. So, so he had right. So he's there, and I just remember the introduction because he Marvin just never gets out. He doesn't go out. He goes to the Boxing Hall of Fame, goes back to Italy. Little day just sticks to himself, yeah. not looking for acclaim or anything else. And so um, Michael Buffer is doing the introductions for everybody. He just said, "Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome." And he would just you know you intro all the ex fighters, and and everyone gets a good round of applause, and everyone sure. you know if, uh, active fighters fighters from the past. And then they saved him for last. And he did, and, and Buffer did it, of course, just right. Yeah. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome back the former middleweight champion Is of the world. Right. He's a, a, he is one of the icons of the sport. Ladies and gentlemen. And Marvin was wearing, I didn't, he, he broke it out on fight night. The whole week he's just dressed very normally, you know, low key. On fight night, he's wearing a yellow suit. Oh. So his, his, Bald head is gleaming. Yeah. He's in a yellow suit. He's yeah. sitting ringside. And so as Buffer goes, ladies and gentlemen, marvelous Marvin. And he stands up at just as Perfect. he says, Hagler. And, and Hagler stands there like this. And the place go erupts. I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. The place, MGM Grand Garden, erupts at the sight of Hagler in his yellow suit with the bald head like a god. Yeah. Comes back down to visit. Oh, my God. He, it was he, like one of the greatest things I've ever seen in sports. He, just uh, welcoming him back. He, uh, him and his tailor coordinated. I mean, <laughs> they, I was like, he knew what that moment was needed to be. It was justice, though. Yeah. Like, if someone should get an, like, an eruption of applause, you bring up it should, Marvin That's a Hagler. Good point. Gave an honest effort. We're talking about with Phil. You got, you got every ounce of effort from Hagler. All right. And that's why he left. I mean, just to finish it off. Yeah. That's why, how many guys just walk away? He could afford more big money fights. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That last yep. fight with Leonard? You know, a lot of people thought it should have been a draw. A lot of people thought Hagler should have won. Hey, take nothing away from Leonard. Magnificent. Yep. Magnificent. Yep. Uh, with the time off and everything else, unbelievable. People thought they, it was kind of like the Ali Foreman fight. People were worried about his well-being. His health. Yeah. His health. Like, don't get in there yeah, with this don't, guy. Don't right, do it. Right. Don't do that. Way don't. too small. Yep. And, and so, you know, he walks away. I mean, he thought he won. And he, he just walks away. He says, that's it. Yeah. You didn't do the right thing. I'm gone. I mean, I've, that's the that's the man. More good stories for boxing from the 70s and 80s yeah. coming up now with Tony Danza, right? Oh, so I just God. want to throw in gold sponsor is Spectrum. You can text 76278 and make a direct donation to the Atlas Foundation. But uh, let's get to it. And we'll, yeah, we'll talk on the other Danza, side. Ready? You're going to love Tony it. Danza, big star, of course, huge boxing fan. Some good stories here. You and Ken with Tony Danza. Here we go. All right. Joining us on the program now, we've got the triple threat. The man can act, he can dance, he can box. He was nominated for an Emmy and a Golden Globe. He was 9-3 and three as a professional fighter with nine big wins coming inside the distance. None other than Brooklyn's own Tony Danza. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Good to see you, Ken. Thank you. Pleasure to have you. Tony, thanks for being here for this uh, occasion that came about because of COVID. We can no longer do the dinner as a fundraiser. Yeah, I'm going to miss the dinner. I want you to know because I really enjoy those uh, those nights. It just, uh, you know, you see a lot of people you haven't seen in a long time, and it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a good night. We get a thousand people. We get 50, 60 celebrities like yourself to help us raise money, and you're always there. I just want to tell you, thank you, thank you for always being there. Teddy, I think I think the work that you do and uh, is uh, is really really important, and uh, I think you know one of the things that I think that becomes more and more evident to you as you grow older is that you really do have a responsibility to try to leave the world a little better than you found it, 
especially if you have the means to do that and and your uh, continuing efforts i mean i can't tell you how many people tell me uh, how how they've been helped by you and your uh, and the organization so so congratulations and keep up the good work well you know the old saying you can't do it alone that's for sure and it takes people like you to help us do it to raise the funds the resources and i i can't say it enough times uh yeah you all the things ken just said you're emmy all those things emmy award winner great dancer great actor you're a good fighter good puncher um but you're a good person you're a great person that's and, the most important thing that's what we got to try to do yeah and that's the most important thing especially today but i think at all times uh to be the best human being you can be and uh you've you've found a way to do that so matter of fact i'll, I'll mention one of the stories in a room for the people out there that are listening so they understand why we're asking you to donate money where you might not be familiar with the foundation. This is, you know, a different audience, a national audience. So this might be the first time you're hearing something about it. But you've been there, Tony, in a room with all the stories, the people pouring their hearts out, coming there and doing testimonials about how they've been helped and what they needed. And there was a mom one, one year who was there with a five-year-old boy uh, from Brooklyn, and he got mauled by a pit bulldog, and he got disfigured. And seven surgeries later to reconstruct his face, he went back to school, five years old, and he came home and he told his mother, you know, I don't have friends anymore. And, uh, you know, break your heart. And we got in touch with them. We found out about it. We got in touch with them. And we let them know that, we found a place that uh, has a whole bunch of friends <laughs> waiting to meet them. And it was called Disney World and ready to fly him, his sister, uh, his brother, his grandmother, and his mother to Disney World for a week uh, to meet his new friends. And when it was all over with, the mother said, that's the first time since this tragic situation that I've seen a smile came back. Oh, God. And that's you, Tony. That's you. That's the celebrities. That's all the people in that room that bring attention to the foundation, that bring money to the foundation. And it's all the people out there, all of you, that, that buy a ticket, buy a table, whatever it is, an auction item, uh, that, that allow us to do that. And again, thank you, Tony, the bottom of my heart for always being that person. I want you to know something, Ted. I mean, I, I uh, you know, I, I do a lot of this stuff, of course, but but uh, this is a special one. And you're right. Those nights there and listening to those, some of those stories is just incredible. And anytime, anytime you talk about a five-year-old kid, I'm in, <laughs> you know, because I, I really think that's the, the thing that's really, I think, different from when we were kids is how much harder it is to be a young kid anymore. I mean, I just think, my goodness, I, I, I grew up stress-free in East New York and Brooklyn, which is, by the way, right there, that you could grow up stress-free in East New York and Brooklyn at that Good time. Point. You know, it was just a different kind of way. And I just worry that we are expecting all these kids to grow up well-adjusted. I, I used to do this joke in my act. I said, we listen to nothing. Our, our generation listened to nothing but love songs. Got to have love, find love, lose love, must have love. And look how we turned out. 
<laughs> so I don't know. You got to be a little. You got to be concerned about what we're doing to our kids. And and so when you hear the stories of of a kid who smiles through that kind of uh, that kind of adversity, and you had a hand in making that possible, then you know you that's 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 what life's about. You know, we all we all had a hand in it. Like I said, I can't thank you enough. You're always there. And um, I'll jump into, I'll change the subject, jump into your career a little bit and let the fans out there know <laughs> something that they, they, I don't know, that they, they might have heard about, but is the legend story, the legendary story true that your career got started, your magnificent career got started where you were a fighter, you were training at my mentor's gym on 14th Street, the Gramercy Gym. If my, if my mind is right, you were training at the Gramercy Gym years ago. Uh, like I said, Custom Models Gym. And Bob Jackson, Al Gavin had taken it all. There was all kinds of characters there. Patty Flood, all those guys were there. And there you are. And a bunch of directors come in. Tell me where, you, after I'm no, done, actually, you just take actually, the story. Actually, uh, Teddy, I trained at Cle I, I finished my career at Gramercy. Oh, okay, with, all right. With Tony Canzi. Yeah, Patty, Tony Canzi. Fatty Flood and everybody. It was great. Bobby and and, uh, and Al. Oh, my God. They worked my corner. Al worked my corner. So I, I ended up there. But I originally started, what happened was I fought in the Golden Gloves a couple of years. A couple of my friends entered me in the gloves because I thought I was a tough guy. And the first year I did really well. I ended up uh, knocking out a bunch of guys. In fact, I, I did uh, Henry Gates's uh, Finding Your Roots show, where they go back and look at your roots, and he showed yeah. me an, uh, an article from the Daily News, written by Jack Smith, by the way. Oh, and wow. it said, And it said, Brooklyn bartender serves mittens instead of Manhattans in, in gloves debut, you know? <laughs> so uh -huh, I fought a couple good. of years in the gloves, and then I turned pro, and I was training in Gleason's on All 8th right. Avenue and 30th Street, with Chicky Ferrara, wow. Chicky Ferrara was my uh, was my trainer. Sammy Morgan was there, and all those guys. And, and, I know uh, all those guys. Freddie Brown, yeah. Freddie Brown was there. It was the greatest. It was the greatest place of all. And I was training in there one day, and a guy walked in in a suit. He was looking to do a pilot about a young fighter who trains at the, at a gym that's owned by an old fighter, and they have a relationship, and they they can't pay the rent, so they. They rent out half the place to an aerobics instructor, aerobics, which gives you some kind of context as far as time. And I yeah. remember all I could all I could think about was leg warmers. But anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> but uh, you know, one thing led to another. Uh, he got me a, uh, got me a screen touch for a pilot. I ended up in the pilot. Um, and you know, it's funny. I'll never forget. I was sitting in the uh, in the waiting room. And everybody had the side. There was all these actors in there. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was really naive, you know. And, the guy and the girl was walking around. The uh, casting lady was asking people what they had done last, you know. And guy said, well, I did a pilot. One guy said I was on Broadway. One guy said I did it all, you know. And they came to me. I said, I fought eight rounds at Prospect Hall. <laughs> so I, That's know, the best. That was my, you know, my, my, uh, my big uh, bibliography there. But the uh, pilot didn't go on. Didn't make it. But I went up for a part uh, of The Warriors. Remember that movie, The Warriors? That, that oh, great movie. Right. So I go up for this movie. It's an open call for the Warriors in Manhattan. I want you to understand an open picture for a gang, an open call for a gang picture in Manhattan. I just want you, I remember a lot of feathers. But anyway, so <laughs> I get there. But what I did, 
Teddy, what I did was I brought the post. I was fighting at Prospect Hall. It was my first main event. Had my picture on the post. We said, Tough Tony Dad's a Brooklyn's knockout artist. So after I read, it was a big, long uh, conference table. And at the end was Joel Silver and, and Walter Hill and Larry Gordon. You know, he's big producer types. And I read. And, you know, when you read, uh, whenever you audition, this is what they do to you. They go, thank you. They don't tell you, thank you very much. And then you take your shoes for a walk. And so I was ready to go. I finished it. And then they said, thank you very much. And I said, hey, by the way, guys. And I unfurled the poster. And I said, if you guys really want to see a warrior, why don't you come down to Prospect Hall Friday night? I'm fighting there. They go, well, I don't give a fight. I said, yeah. And I showed them the poster. And uh, they came. <laughs> They all came to the fight. There was like, uh, you know, four limousines outside of Prospect Hall from all these wow. Hollywood people. They sit through fight. It was a cha-cha production. Remember cha-cha? Oh, my God. Yeah. Cha-cha so, and Don Elbaum. And Don Elbaum, right. So they 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 uh, they sit through five boring fights. I remember I was I was in the back. And, you know, Prospect Hall is that place now to we make your dreams come true. You know, the Grand Prospect Hall, they do a weddings now. It used to be an opera house and it was a fight club. But I was on the stage looking through the uh, curtain, you know, looking at them, you know, watching them and watching them. So, the, so it was my fight. I come out and uh, I was bad. If I had to chase you, I look bad. But if you came to me, like you said, I could punch a little bit. So I, And I like to mix it up. So... That night, I was fighting a kid named Billy Perez. We didn't like each other because we were in the same gym. We knew we were going to fight each other eventually, you know. And the time had come. We got in a screaming match at the weigh-in that morning. And it was, you know, it was banana. Or the day before, whenever it was, whatever it was. And bell rings. He comes right out, comes right at me. And he, he nailed me. But I come off the, the punch he threw. I came off with a left hook and I hit him. I felt like I felt it in my toes. I chased him to the corner <laughs> and I knock him into the first row in like 40 seconds. Wow. So I'm walking around the rig. I'm walking around the rig full of adrenaline. And I look down and I see Larry Gordon, the producer. He looks up at me and, we, and our eyes meet. He goes, that's the greatest audition I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it is the greatest audition. Wow. And, and so I get the part. So I get the part, and now I'm like, wow. One minute I'm fighting eight, uh, 10 rounds at Prospect Hall. Now I'm, I'm going to be in a major motion picture, you know? So I go to Gulf and Western, which was, uh, you know, which was owned Paramount at the time on, uh, on 60th Street. And um, I go in there, and I'm, 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 look, I'm talking to the girls, and I'm, you know, I'm getting costume. I couldn't have, I, I, I thought I was in heaven. It was a, yeah, sure. you know, where, where, how did this happen? Yeah. All of a sudden, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you Tony Danza? And I swear, Teddy, I really thought the jig was up. <laughs> I thought, I knew this was too good to be true. <laughs> so the guy says, they want to see you on the 22nd floor. Julia Taylor's office, Gretchen Rennell's office. I said, I don't know who they are. So I, all right. I just think it's part of the deal. So I get in the elevator and I go to the 22nd floor and they're casting people. I didn't know that. Door opens to the waiting room, to the waiting area. And there's like, 20 guys there, all like uh, blonde uh, heavyweights, all yeah. like that. And I'm like, nah, I know I'm in the wrong place now. Yeah. So all of a sudden the hostess says, hey, are you Tony Danza? And I said, yeah. She said, come on, come on, they're waiting for you. And I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. Now all these guys got the sides, they're, they're, they're getting ready to do their audition. They see me walking by, they go, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Why is he going I go first? In, I, go into the, <laughs> I go into the office. And there's Jim Brooks and Mandy Patel. 
And Mandy's reading for Judd Hirsch's part in a show called Taxi. There it is. And Jim Brooks is the greatest. You know, he did Terms of Endearment, Good As It Gets. You know, he's this brilliant taxi, Mary Tyler Moore, Rhoda, you know, all those shows. Yeah, everything. So I go in and and I read with with Mandy for for, uh, this part. And it's originally written for, um, what was his name? I can't remember. But he was an Irish heavyweight. Oh, wow. So I read and... I end up getting the part. They make it an Italian middleweight, and that's that's how it happened. Hey, listen, Tony, you were around some of the great, great characters in the game with Cha-Cha, Don Elbaum. I mean, you got to have a story, a Don Elbaum, Cha-Cha oh, story. Let me, tell, let me tell you a Cha-Cha story. Cha-Cha. So people don't know, his name was Johnny Charcha. And he's on The uh, Sopranos, Albie on The Sopranos, so you know yeah. who he is. And he owned a little uh, pizzeria and he owned restaurant. And on Mulberry Street called Cha-Cha's Cafe and Bucalupo Cafe. Yes. And he owned a cheese store on Mulberry and Grand, which I was a partner of. Okay. But this is long before any of that. So I got a, tra- I got a manager back in, uh, this is in 75, I think. And uh, his name was Joe Scorcia. He was a uh, an oil guy in uh, in Brooklyn. And he was my manager. And yeah, I know Joe He was Scorcia. the guy who made me change my name from Aya Danza to Danza. He told oh. me, you know, tough Tony Danza sounds better than Tony Aya Danza. So I, <laughs> I said to him, he said, what do you think? I said, well, I think I got to ask my father. So I went <laughs> yeah, home and I asked my father. And I said, Dad, Joe Scorcia wants me to be tough Tony Danza. He goes... What's what? He doesn't like the Aya? <laughs> so, but anyway, he was a So, but he couldn't get me. I, I just wasn't getting any fights. So I talked to a friend of mine. He talked to a friend of mine. You know how that works, Teddy. And yeah. somebody calls me up and says, listen, tomorrow a guy named Chacha is going to come and see you uh, box. So I say to Chicky, I say, Chick, you know this guy Chacha? He says, yeah. He says he can help us. You better look good tomorrow. So I say, okay. So we boxed. So Chacha walks in, and he walks in, and I'll never forget. He looked like he remember that old commercial, Chilla Chilla Aldo. Yeah. Remember that stupid wine commercial with the little guy. Yeah, the little That's guy what with Chacha the mustache. looked like. That's yeah. what he looked like. He even had a beret. He, he, he <laughs> well, that was Chacha. Like, You're right. So I get in a ring. He says uh, she comes over. He says, "Yeah, I'm here." I said, "I'm going to take a look." Uh, you know, we talk for a second. Then I got ready and I sparred, and I was sparring. I was in a clutch, a clinch at one point. I look over to see what he's look, what he's what he's doing, and he was reading. He wasn't even looking at me, you know. <laughs> so, so we finish, we finish. I finish the sparring session, and he he comes up to the ring and he says, "I'll get dressed. I'll meet you outside. We'll talk." And you know how he was, you know. Okay. So he goes outside, and I go change. I come back outside. He's standing outside, and this is before cell phones. So what he's doing is he had he had papers. He just had a lot of papers. I don't know what the hell. Anyway, <laughs> he says to me, he says to me, hey, you look pretty good. He says, you, and you know what? He says, you'll put asses in the seats. He says, uh, I'm going to take you on. First, he says, what do you need? He says to me, what do you need? I says, to tell you the truth, child, I'm sharing a cup. <laughs> I was sharing a cup with the guy next to me. You know, the, you know. Yeah, so he says, protection. how much? I says, 80 bucks. 80 bucks was a lot of money then. You know, I, sure. I, I couldn't believe it. So he, he reaches in his pocket and he pulled out what looked like a lot of money. And then I realized, though, it was, it was cards and the money was wrapped around the cards. So he, <laughs> you know, and he, he counted out $80 and he 
he counted out all he had. It was $140, and he gave me 80 Okay? I don't want you sharing a case. So get yourself a cup. And he, then he says to me, what's your record? I said, one and two. Give me the money back. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> Just then, there's a guy walking by, Teddy. Some stranger. Some guy walking <laughs> on 30th Street. Only in he boxing. Goes, he goes, hey, hey, you see this kid? I just gave him 80 bucks. You see that? I just gave him 80 bucks. You know what his record is? One and two. And I just gave him 80 bucks. <laughs> the guy's looking at him like, what the hell? And he kept walking. Yeah. And that was it. We became, he was like, he was one of the greatest guys. Uh, he just, we had an adventure, you know, not only the fights, but just in life. Uh, and, he, you know, he died five years ago, the 21st of this month. You know, so we, you know, I miss him bad, but he was, I just gave this guy, the kids wanted two, and I just gave him 80 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, listen, this has been great, Tony. The people are going to love it. Um, there's nothing like the real thing in anything in life, and boxing is the real oh, thing. And so people good. just got to hear a lot of real life stories that um, I'm sure they're going to enjoy. And the most important thing is, Thank you, as always. It's for my helping. pleasure, Ted. I'm going to be around to help you. I will. To raise right? money for all those people out there that, that need help. Tony, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. I know we talked about maybe doing 15 best. minutes, but uh, really appreciate all the insight. And uh, like I said, huge fan of your career. Super exciting. You come from a long list of uh, Brooklyn legends that are into boxing hey, look, Joe, and acting. Look, Joe Hand Joe Hand by <laughs> Philadelphia. Very nice. Philadelphia. Joe Hand and Russell Peltz. That's right. Yeah, two <laughs> legends. Well, Tony, thank you so much for doing right, this. We guys. really appreciate it. Thank you for your help. Thanks to Sharon, too, Teddy. Yes. Talk yes. to you soon, buddy. All right. Love you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. Bye, little guy. <laughs> See you, guys. You know, Tony is great. I, I It's I, getting, I should thank you for the years that I'm able to be at your dinner and frequently be seated next to like someone I would never, I would just never meet Tony Danza. I sat, sat for a, a couple of nights with John McEnroe, right? Will, Willem Dafoe. Willem just Dafoe. sitting there. They, they can't go Great anywhere. Actor. You know, they're trapped on the dais. So they, sit, so they have to talk to me. Oh. <laughs> uh, Pete Rose. We don't, we don't have fences. That's right. right. Yeah. Quite. Pete Rose, uh, you know, uh, frequently NYPD commissioner. I mean, there's uh, the people at your dinner and we look next year. We'll all be together. Right you, next uh, year, we will. We will. We will. And, and it'll be fantastic. All right. So Tony Danz is great. Uh, next interview: Daniel Cormier, UFC legend; Ariel Helwani, who is the 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 dominant MMA journalist. Boys. Boys. Yeah. So uh, thoughts on this interview coming up? Oh, two great guys, and you touched on it. DC Daniel Cormier. First of all, great announcer too. You know, besides, he's forty years old. He just retired. Forty forty one had his last fight, light heavyweight and heavyweight champion, uh, just tremendous. Trim I mean, he was an Olympian twice, Brian. You need to hear more mm. as a wrestler. Uh, this guy's a special guy, really, and an uh, ambassador for the sport, the way he speaks, the way he conducts himself, carries himself, and as I said, a great commentator with UFC. Uh, and and as you said, Helwani, he's become the face of, I, of I love sport. his interviewing style. He's very calm. You know, like I get excited and everything. Like I have to me. learn from him. He's, right, he's, he's calm. He's low-key. Does an interview like this. Like, like that. Right? <laughs> Occasionally. Well, I, Occasionally. Wait, Sometimes wait. we have a panic open, panic close. Well, no, we're not. <laughs> no, we don't do that. I mean, 
Not often. All right. The conversation coming up. Again, thanks to our gold sponsor, that's Spectrum. You can text 76278. There are links for the live auction. There are links to donate directly to. Can I add one thing to? Yes. The, I have to. Cormier, he, the people are going to see it, but you talk about a difficult upbringing. Um, you talk about one of your parents, your father being murdered. You talk about losing a child. Um, I mean, and the guy still rises to the top. Mm. I mean, that's what this country implores. That's what this country teaches. This what country this country uh, provides opportunity for. But it's still the it's still the fight inside the person right. that has to be there, that has to never quit. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. The fight never stops. Right. And, and you have control over that. No matter what you're going through, at the end of the day, no matter how beaten down you might feel, the things I just mentioned with DC, with Cormier, with, with you guys out there, it's still your choice how you behave. It is. I mean, right. no matter what, it's still your choice. That's the one thing you hold on to you never lose until you give it up. Yep. Your choice. What am I going to do? And that's why we come to you. Because... We ask you to do what you can do, and you never fail us. Never. 24 years, never failed us. Yep. And thank you for never failing, always ah, being welcome. there. No, always ah, being welcome. there. Of course. No matter what, there could be things coming up. You could say, nah, you know, tonight I kind of supposed to do this, I got to do that. No. No, it's your choice what you make a priority, what you need to do, what you feel you need to do, and what you will do. It's the greatest power we have. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Brian. This year, this year especially. Just us. It's quiet. Next year, big room, raucous, drinks. Everybody will be up there again. It'll be a lot of fun. Right now, Daniel Cormier, Ariel Helwani, your interview. We'll watch that together. All right. We're happy to be joined by the double champ, Daniel Cormier, and the MMA king of journalism, the great Ariel Helwani. Welcome, guys. Thank you guys for Thank having, you. having you me guys. and my friend Ariel. <laughs> it's good to have you. Thank you guys for joining us. Appreciate it very much. And uh, always always appreciate not only people that have accomplished things that are good at what they do, which obviously the two of you is at the top of your game at what you do, but good people, good people, uh, people that live the right life and um, have done the things that uh, – Good people find a way to do. I guess that kind of segues me into the start for you, Daniel. You've overcome so much in your life. Um, you know, tragedy, difficult situations. Uh, your, your father was murdered when you were seven. Uh, you, you lost a three-month-old daughter to a car accident. Um, you, you overcame so much. How did you do it? How, and how much of that, doing all that, and overcoming all those things that would destroy a lot of people, quite frankly. Um, how, how has it formed you? You know, Teddy, I think that with a lot of lessons that you learn um, in tough situations, you know, I was just trying to say this to Ariel on our show earlier. The measure of a man is not whenever things are comfortable, right? It's when it's uncomfortable, when things are bad. How does that person respond? How do they react? And I believe that Every time I was dealt a blow, whether it was personally, whether it was professionally, I tried to grow from it. And 
you just feel so battle tested, right? Like I grew up in an area where there just wasn't much, you know, we didn't have much. So we found great people to try and, and cling on to, you know, when I, when I met great people outside of my parents, um, people that tried to provide opportunity for me, I grabbed those opportunities and I hung on to them and I used them to try to get me out of my situation. So, um, and I always feel like we all have a journey, right? And on our journey, things won't always be perfect. So when you are dealt the blows, when your cross is handed to you, the cross that you have to bear, it's never too much. It's never too heavy. You got to just strap up and, and, and get to work and continue to get better and, and just look at life as an opportunity to, to live it uh, gracefully. And I think that's what I've done. You definitely have. That's, um, and again, I'm, I'm sure, I believe everyone has a journey. Everyone has a destiny. And I believe that there's things that happen in your life that forge you, prepare you for that destiny, uh, for what is eventually in front of you, even if you can't see it that way at the moment. Uh, they prepare you. Then it's your choice what you do with them. Do you give yeah, in to Yeah. Do you give in to those things? Uh, do you get demolished by it? Or do you find the reason for it that it can make you stronger and make you ready to to do what you were put on this world to do? When you were able to overcome things like that, how much of that was part of your first world title when you beat Johnson? How much was... Because I have to tell you, it, you're a storybook. There should be a movie about you. Because... <laughs> no, really. And, and there should be... And I'm hoping that this interview serves more than just a good interview, hopefully a great interview for the fans out there. I hope it serves as a lesson, um, as a message to young people out there that are having difficult things go on in their life right now, how you can make a choice, let it beat you or let it get you ready for what's in front of you to make you triumphant like you've done. And when you fought Johnson for the title, for your first title, I'm telling you, you couldn't have scripted that damn thing better. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, after all you've been through, how is it going to be easy? It wasn't going to be easy. You get dropped in the first round, and then you come back and you s submit them in the third. Did, uh, this is a crazy question, but did a little part of you, a little angel, a little somebody on your shoulder whisper to you, of course this was going to be part of the night. <laughs> Daniel, of course this was going to have to happen. Tell us. Take us through that, please, please. You know, you know Teddy, it kinda, it's kind of par for the course, right? Like, and, and, you know, I'm not – I try to tell my story, and I'm not as great a storyteller as Ariel, but um, we – it was all part of what I had been through, right? I had been through – the fight with Jones in January and losing my first title fight, going into the Anthony Johnson fight late um, notice, five and a half weeks, have to make weight, go in there uh, to fight a guy that at the time was the most dangerous striker in the UFC, you know, and he, he knocked me down and, and uh, I was able to get back up and, and get back to work. But ultimately that is what my life has been, right? My life has been get knocked down and get back up and, and try to continue to press forward towards the goal. And I remember uh, when I got the call for this fight, and, you know, when I talk about 
when people watch Aaron Lyle on TV, they see the show today. They don't see all the conversations backstage. And Ariel, you remember when I got that call for the Rumble fight and, and the title fight uh, to fight him for the belt and how to approach it? And, and just kind of tell – you tell Teddy a little bit about, like, the thought process of mine that went into it. You remember how much we spoke about it going into that fight? No, I mean, obviously, uh, when you come across a situation where you're coming off, like, the worst loss and, and the first pro loss of your career and now you're fighting for the belt, um, I'll never forget uh, that morning – um, and I think this is what you're alluding to, right? Um, yeah, that, that morning I'm in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I'm in Las Vegas and uh, it's like 6.30 in the morning and uh, my phone rings and it's Daniel Cormier. And I'm like, oh no, is he out of the fight? What's going on? This is horrible. He doesn't call me at 6.30 in the morning, especially not on fight day. And it was him just lying in his bed and and thinking about what he's going to say when he wins the fight. And so we concocted this plan of this quote unquote promo, if you will, of what he would say when he wins the fight. That's how confident he was going into that fight. But that's just like the guy that he is. Everything, you know, like he took a lot of, you know, time and effort to build his career. And so here he is calling me and we didn't have the relationship that we had now calling me like, okay, what, what do you think I should say when I win the fight? Because of course the fight that he wanted next was the Jones fight, right? That was the real fight that he wanted. This was the fight to get to the Jones fight. And uh, we came up with this plan that he would, you know, essentially ignore Joe Rogan's question and uh, just essentially say, you know, John Jones, get your expletive together. I'm waiting for you and walk off. And I'll never forget, he, he won the fight. There was a part of me that was very happy. You know, you're not supposed to show your emotion because you're <laughs> supposed to be unbiased. You're supposed to be a journalist. And I'm backstage working for Fox at the time. And I'm thinking to myself, like, is he going to say it? Is he really going to say it? <laughs> and he freaking nailed it, like, to a T, like, verbatim. He nailed what we talked about at 6.30 that morning. This is after he was rocked. This was after the fight. Like, think about all the emotions going on in his head. He could have just – and he said it, and I was so proud that day in the back. I didn't tell anyone that we talked because <laughs> I wanted to keep it to – to myself, and uh, I, I felt like I was a little bit a part of the journey that that's, night as well. That's a great you know, Teddy, story. So it's, like, it's like just sit in the moment, but also think about what's next, right? Because my, if my life has taught me anything. It's been when you get knocked down, you got to pull yourself up by the trousers and go right back to work. And I figured even in that moment, guys, when I won that belt for the first time, as Ariel alluded to, it was let's get to the next thing, right? So you constantly got to be building on uh, the momentum. And I think I take a lot of that from what I did growing up. You know, I watched a lot of fighting. I watched a lot of boxing because when I grew up in Louisiana in the South, you know, boxing was king, especially in the mid eighties when ABC worldwide world of sports was free boxing, but you didn't get free boxing with guys that you had no idea who they were. You got guys like George Foreman and you got guys like Muhammad Ali and you got guys like a young Mike Tyson. You got guys like Sugar Ray Leonard and, and Thomas Hearns and, and Marvin Hagler. You got the best of the best on free television. And all my uncles, they spoke to me about the Kings in boxing. You know, you get the great boxers like Roberto Duran and all those guys. We're just watching these fights and I'm watching how these guys and their stories and the stories of those, the stories within the fight. It wasn't just who was winning right now was who was winning in the first to the third, from the fourth to the sixth. It was just the ebbs and flows of the fights that always taught me that if I was ever in those situations, I would get knocked down. But ultimately, how do you show yourself when you stand back up? Exactly. That's what it's all about. And, you know, you kind of, well, you kind of answered or brought me to a place I was going to ask you, 
and I'll jump to it now. I was going to get there more gradually, but you're you're one of the great wrestlers. I mean, my God, who who goes to two Olympics as a wrestler? <laughs> I mean, and your record as a high school record, oh, forget about it. I mean, I mean, you're like you're like Lomachenko or Mark Breland or one of these boxers you're talking about that had these phenomenal amateur record uh, where you were you were just a legend and you're winning state titles. You you you're doing all of that in wrestling, and then you go into the UFC, MMA, then UFC, and you become a pretty damn good striker. I mean, and, and then I watch you with Miosik, and I'm saying to myself, you know, he's got the edge on the mat, but yet he's staying on his feet, and he's striking. Where I, You kind of explained some of it, but where did the, where did the tangible development come from to get you to that point where you could say, you know what, I'm a great wrestler, but I'm going to go strike with these guys and I'm going to knock them out <laughs> because you did knock out a lot of guys. Yeah, I felt like I got great coaching, right? Javier Mendez is the world kickboxing champion. Rosendo Sanchez uh, was an, an Olympic alternate on the U.S. boxing team in 1996, right? He's my head boxing coach. So we do a lot of, we do a lot of basics, right? So when I started fighting mixed martial arts, I didn't say, let me take everything in, right? He would take me, and old school Ted, like, it's just like, he would take this, the, 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 the rope, it was like a jump rope, and he would take it across the boxing ring at an angle, and he would make me just kind of do these weird little slow, it started off as like super slow, right? Like just moving my head on both sides, and then as we went and we got better, I would move my head and I started punching, and I started throwing jabs and left, and he was like, in order for you to learn to box and fight at this level, you're going to have to learn to do it at its base and at its core, right? So if you don't understand how to throw an effective jab, which is something that has been missing from mixed martial arts for a long time, he goes, it will take your difference in height where you struggle because you're shorter. If you can get an effective jab, be in the fight with these tall guys. Well, I learned the jab. And then once I learned the jab, I learned to throw the right hand. And then once I was able to do those things, when the kick started com coming, right? Because when you're in boxing and you're popping the jab and you're, you're a guy like Mayweather who's just bobbing the head back, when he would let the right hand fly, it's when the head's back, they take the brunt of the punch. Well, when I start jabbing these guys, Ted, and I'm popping the head back, well, guess what? Now, guess what it is? Your head and chest is behind your legs. So then I just start blasting the kicks to the legs. So it all started to work in accordance, right? Learn the box, learn the box at the base core, because I've been in boxing gyms, right? Rosendo's from Oakland. So I go in Oakland, I'm going into these boxing gyms and these guys are tearing my face up with the jab, right? I'm like, I want to be able to jab people like this. I want to be able to bust a guy's nose up with a jab, right? So I learned the jab and then it all started working together after I was learning that, that jab. And I'm telling you, I hold my hands up real high and I'm short, 10, I'm 5'10", I'm 5'11", but I'm fighting guys that are 6'4", and they can't get out of the way of a jab. It's, the, it's still the most effective punch in, in all of sports, all of combat sports, and I'm telling you, it became the ultimate equalizer for me against these big dudes, just popping them in the nose with a jab. Yeah, well, people, that is, you know, that sets the table, then you go eat. And um, mm -hmm. that, is, that is the light that clears the way, uh, that shows the passageway. 
and you did what Mike Tyson did. Mike Tyson's about your size, and everybody thought, you know, he's going to be coming in there with the haymakers, but Tyson at his best was a guy with a jab that controlled you when he was at his best. It wasn't about the right hand, the left hook, the left uppercut, which is a signature punch. Of course, when he got on the inside, he banged you around the elbow and then ripped that terrible uppercut up. Boy, that was not a nice thing to, to see coming at you when you were in the ring with him. But the jab is really what paved the way. He out-jabbed taller guys all mm -hmm. the time because fundamentally he threw it straight. He knew the timing of it. And he knew that a lot of guys would not expect it. it, was unexpected. And he also moved his head where he could take away the reach advantage and then get that jab in there to score. Um, I want to let Ken jump in here and see what he wants to ask you to find gentlemen. <laughs> I wanted to first say uh, congratulations to Ariel that um, Daniel Cormier would call you the morning of his <laughs> title fight and ask you what he should say. That's a huge compliment to you as a journalist. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. What was it like for you to get a call like that from Daniel right before the fight? Uh, I mean, just a, it's an honor. Uh, obviously, you know, like the, the the morning of, like I said, I would I, I would I would suspect that something bad happened, right? Because we don't usually talk that early. So I got nervous for a second. But yeah, I think it did solidify our... Uh, relationship to a degree. Uh, the first time I met Daniel was in 2009 at a, a, a media day. He was there with his friend, Mohammed Lawal. And afterwards he said to me, Hey, I, I, uh, let's go get something to eat. You know, we're going to eat lunch and I'm, you know, a very serious journalist. So I was like, no, I, I don't, I don't eat with, uh, with fighters. That's, that's crossing the line. And he said, one day we're going to be friends. One day we're <laughs> going to actually be buddies. And I was like, yeah, right. No way. Like, who are you? I just met you. I don't even know who you are. Um, and fast forward, you know, through everything, 12 years later, we host a show together now for ESPN. And, uh, I can, I, I talked to DC multiple times a day, um, and, uh, sometimes, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we probably talk too much, um, but, uh, the, sh the show, <laughs> the show has been great much to his wife and my wife's chagrin. Um, the show has been going great and it's really been like a, a shining light in the midst of this pandemic. I, I, I genuinely look forward to Mondays and I'm genuinely bummed when I have to wait seven more days to do it again. Uh, I wish we could do it every day. Uh, it's just an amazing, uh, partnership and chemistry that we have. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to have someone like him in my life. Hey, Ariel, you know, you picked your background perfectly. You look like a librarian. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you got the glasses. You're a smart guy. You're, you're a reasonable voice out there. Obviously, you're very knowledgeable. You got all the books behind you. <laughs> you really, it's the perfect setting for you. But, and that's the but, you have a passion for this sport. So, there's much more to you than the cover of those books. You know that old saying, can't judge a book by its cover. You look at you and you're a lot more than just a, a bright looking a librarian type guy right now. You have a background in you, in your bloodlines, where I believe you had an uncle that, uh, that actually was in the 76 Olympics um, in judo. Um, and you have another uncle boy, you cover all dimensions of it, who is basically a professor of psychology. I know he's a lot more than that, but I could never, it's much too huh. complex. Um, the man is a, is a genius, and it's much too complex for me 
to be able to explain it all. But you have that background. You graduated in communications at Syracuse University. It seems like you, again, put aside the look. It seems like you really have MMA in your bloodlines and that you were in some ways prepared for this profession. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up a, a gigantic sports fan, but I was the kind of kid who wanted to watch the events on TV, um, not only for the athletes, but also for the broadcasters as well. I was fascinated by the magic of TV and the big event and everything that goes into that. And the people that I looked up to when I was a kid were you know, people like Bob Costas and Marv Albert and Howard Cosell. I used to read a lot about Howard Cosell, obviously, when, when I, I was born in 1982. And by the time I was, you know, watching sports, it was a little bit uh, past his prime. And then unfortunately, he passed away. But I was fascinated by all these people, these giants who were the ones who were telling us about what was going on at the events. And very early on, um, I became very interested in the in the fight game as well. Um, initially, it was the world of pro wrestling, which I thought was real, right? I used to rent all the the the, the VHSs, um, and then I was very interested in the world of boxing. This is before. Uh, the UFC. So, um, you know, in the late 80s with Tyson and and then eventually, you know, like with Roy Jones Jr., who was one of my favorites. Uh, I'm from Montreal. So my favorite boxer was the late great Arturo Gatti, uh, who I had the pleasure of watching in person at the Bell Center. Um, and so I love that. And, and in fact, just to skip and to come back, my first job out of college um, was working for HBO Sports. And the reason why I wanted to work for HBO Sports was because at the time they were the home of boxing and they were putting on the biggest events. My first day, I met Roy Jones. They were interviewing him for an upcoming fight. And I was just blown away by that. I remember walking into the um, like the, the storage closet and taking a bunch of their old posters. I, I loved boxing. And then, of course, in, uh, in the mid-90s, uh, MMA becomes the thing and the UFC becomes the thing. And I, and I watched this at my grandparents' house. They had one of those old, um, you know, like uh, pay-per-view converter things where you can watch pay-per-views for free and they would repeat the UFC events over and over again. And so it had elements of boxing and it had elements of pro wrestling, the showmanship and the lights and the mano y mano and who's the best man. And I was just fascinated by all of it. And I'll never forget in 1997, uh, I was in the ninth grade in English class, and I was supposed to be reading out of a, a textbook, but I was reading Sports Illustrated. It was, it was in between. My teacher didn't know that I was reading Sports Illustrated because, again, I, I was thinking about sports all day long. And uh, there was a little blurb in there. It was, a, it was a magazine. It was an issue that was talking about the best schools in America for X, Y, and Z. And there was a blurb in there that stated that Syracuse University was the best school for sports broadcasting. And a light went off in my head. I was like, wow, I could go to school to learn how to be a sports broadcaster. And they also mentioned that Bob Costas and Marv Albert, who are two of my favorites, went there as well. So I decided then that I was going to go to Syracuse University. Um, so fast forward a few years, I get to Syracuse. And now for the first time in my life, I'm actually surrounded by people who have the same hopes and dreams and aspirations that I have. They all want to be the next Bob Costas and Marv Albert, et cetera, et cetera. And I've always liked going down a different path. I don't like following everyone else. So I'll never forget in 2001, my first month at STU, I was talking to my parents about how it was going. And I told them, you know, there's this sport called mixed martial arts. 
Um, and, and it's, it's, it's only at the time, it's only eight years old, but I feel like in 10 years, it's going to be mainstream and there's going to be some executive in some office who knows nothing about this sport, but he's going to say, who's the guy, um, we, we, we need to start covering the sport. Who's the face of MMA? Who's the Howard Cosell of MMA? And I want to be that guy. I want to be the face. I want to be the voice of mixed martial arts. And so in, in college, as, as opposed to doing like a, a basketball or a, a, a football or a lacrosse show, which was big at Syracuse. I did a, a fight show um, and I would have people from the world of MMA and boxing come on my show and talk about it. And that's when I started to develop this, you know, vision that I could be one of these people as well, but don't let the looks fool you, Teddy. I, I was a scrapper in my day. I, I played basketball, soccer, hockey, and I was always the captain. I always liked to lead. I always liked to have a big voice, but I was also like, you know, my favorite basketball player was Charles Oakley. Like I, I like to get dirty. I, I'm not, you know, I, I kind of have this, 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 uh, this, this reputation down in the fight game next to these tough guys like Daniel Cormier that I'm this puny guy. I, I've got Lebanese blood in me right here, <laughs> and we are a passionate, crazy bunch. So I, I could fight with the best of them if I have to, but I don't like to, obviously, because I do this now for a living. So I don't want you to think that I'm some puny weakling, and pencil neck geek. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I know my role. And I have a great appreciation for the fight game and a great appreciation for what the fighters go through and what people like you have been through and, 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 and what you represent. And I'm just so excited and honored that uh, I get to do this. And it still feels like a dream that now I get to cover my sport for ESPN, for the worldwide leader in sports is just an, I mean, if you would have told that kid back in the ninth grade in 1997, that it would turn out like this, I don't know if I would have believed you. So I just feel very blessed and fortunate to have this job. Now, listen, I, I know I don't think in any way um, I would underestimate you because just looking at your nose, I see you've been uh, crocked there a couple of times. You, that is not the nose of a pacifist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no way. No way, baby. So, yeah. And how about your uncle that was, I mean, that's pretty incredible. He, he represented, I mean, he was on his 1976 Olympic team for judo. Um, how how much did that play into your, you know, pushing you towards the mixed martial arts? Well, how about the fact that uh, he represented Lebanon in the 1976 Summer Olympics, which happened to be in Montreal. And it just so happened that my family moved from Lebanon to Montreal a year prior to that. Like, what are the chances that he would be in the Olympics in Montreal of all places, which, you know, if you would ask me now, Montreal would probably be a front runner for the winter Olympics, not the summer Olympics, given the climate and that he's competing in those games. And my family was, was able to watch him. Uh, he didn't go very far. Uh, but I mean, just an incredible, um, you know, turn of events and, and an amazing achievement. I think all of that was sort of ingrained in me, like the, sports growing up in a, in, in a household with two older brothers and, and uncles and stuff like that. All of them were obsessed with sports. All of them loved it. But for some reason, I was a way bigger fight fan than all of them. Um, I, I like there, there was this place called Jilly's in Montreal, like this pool hall. And I would go there uh, like when I was 16, 17 and drag my friends with me uh, to go watch the big boxing matches um, on Saturday night because you know they were on pay-per-view or HBO and we didn't get that at home and so like I was I was the guy who would tell them on Friday oh we have to watch this because x y and z you know is is going on and this is the storyline like I'll never forget when uh, Otis Grant do you remember Otis Grant yeah the middleweight uh, he, middleweight yeah he, he fought Roy Jones one time and it was such a big deal that a guy from Montreal was fighting Roy Jones it was a huge deal it didn't last very long but like the, these are moments that are ingrained in me uh, Dimitri Salida an orthodox Jew is fighting 
getting Amir Khan, like, oh my God, this is great. Like these are moments that I live for that I would get so excited about and watch and, 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 and get everyone else excited. That, that was just like my whole, uh, my whole childhood and adolescence. So again, like when you talk about a big fight and Saturday night in Las Vegas and the crowd and the energy and the buzz, like this is the stuff that I dream of. And, and thank God it has not gotten old. Thank God it's, it's not, uh, you know, just a job now. It still feels fresh. It still feels fun. And now, you know, I have this relationship with Daniel Cormier, who in my opinion is top five greatest fighters in the history of mixed martial arts. And we get to shoot the, the breeze and talk about the sport and that ESPN trusts me to take, you know, ESPN for the longest time didn't talk about MMA, didn't care about MMA. And they trust me to sort of help educate the audience and, and, and lead them into this new era. It's, uh, I mean, surreal is almost the best way to describe it for me. Hey, Ariel, guys, I have to do a thing for the UFC at 9 o'clock. I was supposed to be at 8.30, but I, I waited a little bit long, so I have to go. Um, I really appreciate you guys. Hey, Teddy, I know you have this fantastic foundation. I know we didn't get to speak on it. I want you to know that I am so happy that you are giving back to the communities, the communities that kids like me grew up in, honestly, and um, to provide opportunities to – have places for them to go where they can get training and, and, and keep them off the streets. And look, if, if this was me, Ted, um, uh, 35 years ago in Lafayette, Louisiana, I would have been one of those kids walking into your gym asking for training to try and make sure that I would not fall victim to some of the circumstances that we find ourselves in as young kids. Um, and I'm not talking just young black kids. I'm talking young black kids, young Mexican kids, young white kids, kids of all color and shades that – find themselves in these tough situations that in our upbringing sometimes provide for us. And I know that the, the, the foundation is in honor of your father. I mean, that is, that is something that I dream of as, as a man that lost his dad last year uh, to, to honor him in some way that will stand the test of time. And what you have done in the sport, what you have done for your family, what you have done for the community is truly something to be applauded. And I'm glad that I have gotten to speak to you and come on your show. And I hope at some point, like I told Ariel, that you and I can build a friendship and I can learn from you because I want to be and have an impact as you have had on not only your fighters, but on the world. So thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done, and for allowing me to share this, this platform with you. Thank you, Daniel. And um, we already have a relationship. It just started. And I couldn't be more honored uh, to have a relationship with a better person and a person that does more for other people, not just for themselves, but they use their own success to help others and they genuinely care about that. Matter of fact, I could see it in your face. You genuinely consider that part of your success that you're able to be able to reach out and help somebody else. And I know you're doing the wrestling clinic uh helping all those kids so you're doing that kind of work the same kind of work that we're doing at the foundation and i i couldn't be more like i just said more privileged and more honored to have somebody like you uh with us thinking the same way and looking to do the same things and congratulations on your baby daughter that oh. uh that that you and your wife just had thank you guys so much thank you teddy thank you guys for having me i really appreciate it and uh hopefully i get to see you guys soon ariel Thank you. I'll see you guys later. Thanks, guys. Bye, thanks, Daniel. Thank you very much, guys. Well, thanks for being with us. We appreciate you, you joining us, uh, Ariel, and appreciate what you what you bring to the sport. And um, 
the way you bring it. Thank you. And, uh, and, and, you know, it was a great honor for me, as DC said, to be, uh, at your, your dinner last year. Um, and I couldn't believe, like I sat on the dais next to all those famous people. I was like, what the hell? One of these things is not like the other surreal John Starks, who I grew up watching and, and Chris Russo and all these people and, uh, getting to learn more from the great Charlie Moynihan, our mutual friend, uh, who speaks so highly of you. I don't know if it's possible for a person to speak more highly of someone than how Charlie speaks of you. And so now getting to know you a little bit and be invited and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you can't have a, a traditional sort of event this year, but I can't wait till next year because, uh, you know, I'll be the first one to sign up. It was a great event and it was just a real honor to be included with all those great people and to see firsthand what you guys are doing for the last few years. Well, thank you, Ariel. Thanks for helping us with that and helping us, you know, bring the, uh, well, bring the help that we bring to people. We need people to help us and you were part of that and I appreciate it. I'll never forget it. And uh, Charlie Monahan, he is a special man. There's no doubt about that. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Great to Ariel. be on and keep up the great work with the show. Thanks, Thanks Ariel. So Thank you. You too. Take Bye. Care. The Dr. Atlas Foundation thanks Amazon for being the event sponsor of the 2020 Virtual Teddy Dinner. All right. Well, this is it. Again, people can donate. People can go to the live auction. Um, again, you can, uh, if you go to the live auction, the links are down there. And again, I this is a place to shop for Christmas. Christmas is coming up. If you want to get someone a unique gift, um, they probably haven't had a Vander Holyfield signed gloves. Uh, odds are it's a fantastic, you can find lots of things there and you're helping the foundation. So you can donate directly or you can go to the live auction and it's a great way to help you do a little shopping. It's a little fun. You'll, you know, give yourself an excuse to buy something you wouldn't ordinarily get for yourself, but you see something fun, something that reminds you of, you know, boxing in the eighties or football 10 years ago or something from right now and people can get it and people can help out. And uh, Teddy, it's been great to be here with you again. It's a, it's a tough year. I can't imagine what you were going through on a daily basis because you're right. It was, it was a year where people were frightened and people needed help. And you guys were there through the shutdown, the quarantine. God bless you and everybody with the foundation and everybody out there that keeps it going. We had to do the, this virtually this year, but, but you don't give up. You fight harder and we're doing it. And next year, we'll all be together in one room. Yeah, again, thank you, Brian. And, um, you know, again, it's uh, we will be together, God willing, next year on in one room. And we needed, we, we couldn't miss around. You know, they talk mm-hmm. about the show goes on, the fight goes on. I always talk about fighting. For me, it encapsulates life. It, it's a metaphor for life. Really, truly is. We're all in a fight. It's just a matter of, you know, what we're fighting for at that moment. But we're all fighting. And each round, every moment represents a round that we overcome something, we go on to the next round. And in this case, we're providing corner work for people some in some ways mm-hmm. so they can continue their fight. And I just, again, I, I can't say enough of how appreciative I am of everybody that's helped us put this on and that are always making this, making allowing this foundation to do the work that we do, to be able to go out there and help the people that fall between the cracks that have nowhere else to go. And uh, I'm, 
I don't mean to say this in a patronizing way, uh, but from my heart, I'm just proud to know everybody. I'm proud of the way everybody behaves as a person because you find out about people when the moment comes. And I'll leave it with this. Every year, I think you know this a little bit, but every year I'm scared. Yeah, I'm not afraid to admit, I'm, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. And when, when it comes close to the dinner, scared that that'll be the year where I'll call up you. But I, I have your address, so I'm not that worried. You're going to find me. Well, I, I, <laughs> but I'll, I'll call up these great celebrities, you just mentioned them, and I'll get a no. Like, will this be the year I get a no? And I, I get so scared. And at the end of the day, my fears go away because they don't say no. Mm. <laughs> they, they, and, and the people that, are we going to get a 1,000 people again? And then I walk in the lobby and everyone says, it's okay, Ted. <laughs> it's crowded. Right, right. It's crowded. And you people, you take away my fears. Um, and you take away the hardships and the fears of parents that have the greatest fears. So God bless you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you, Brian. And um, you're talking about the gifts for Christmas and stuff. Grab something off the wall. Take it home. <laughs> yeah. what it, <laughs> I like that you look like you, 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 Willem Dafoe's taking a round from you, though, yeah, I think, at the well, very least. Could be a 10-8 round, Teddy. It's called movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's called movies, okay? That's a good last word. Teddy, thank you. God bless. Good luck this year. Thank you, Brian. 